plane. Is that from your chopper? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah, they reduced the weight load when they started going down. <laughs> Guess that's why they pushed me out. What's this for? Um, uh, I'm not in charge of, uh, packing, so... You're not, huh? We should, uh... Hey, Dan, you wanna... Why did you bring the gun? Uh... Just precaution. Precaution against what? Uh, okay, see, um... Rescuing you and your people can't really say it's our primary objective then what is is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's lost rewatch podcast here <laughs> post show recaps i don't know why it came out that way mike I mean, well we're, we're globetrotting so much in this episode i but i have no idea what planet that voice came from josh lost is over uh josh wiggler here with mike bloom uh just trying out a bunch of different characters this week mike this is the week to introduce some new characters. Who else do we got? What do we want to name that guy? I'm going to call this person that I'm currently playing. I'm going to call him. It's Kyle. And this is my Lost podcast. Oh, you're talking Lost, are you? I'm this finished is, with the character bit. I'm it's done. It's me, Ivy. <laughs> What's your name? Ivy. Ivy. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle and Ivy, just some uh, background players from the freighter. Ship us uh, together, everyone. Call us Kyle V. Kyle Um, oh my god. Uh, we're a little loopy because obviously some of like the time travel stuff is starting to take effect, right? We're getting into like, uh, loose nosebleed territory here, I think, as we are, uh, getting, uh, getting some people off that boat and off that helicopter and into some time storm and onto the island and Oh my god, it's Faraday, it's Charlotte, it's Miles, it's Frank M. Effing Lapidus, no! and it is their episode. It's confirmed dead. We are introducing four of the biggest characters still on the board that we have yet to really dig into. Um, and I'm so thrilled to, to dig into it, Mike. It says, I mean, I can say definitively, this is the best episode of Lost that we've experienced so far, right? That's sort of, I think what we talked about, I believe last season with the Glass Ballerina was that for some reason, Lost always has stellar premieres, not great follow-ups between Tabula Rasa kind of being a wash adrift, just being a hot sack of garbage and the Glass Ballerina being the nothing burger. I gotta say, perhaps it was a low bar to clear, but Confirmed Dead is able to step over that. You know, we talked last week about how, at least compared to the flashbacks, the island storyline does not measure up. I would amend that to say, maybe not necessarily that it was fantastic, 
it's fine. It's There's actually some- fun. I think it's you know it's got um it's got like big run all over the island energy. It's fast. Yeah. I actually think Mike that this episode is sort of a great mission statement for the pace of the island action, certainly for, like, the finale. Like, this is very Mm. much running at that same speed of you've got, like, Jack and Kate bouncing from, like, the middle of the jungle to, like, the, you know, to the rocks on the edge of the island to back to a big open field where the helicopter is. And then you've got Locke and his crew trekking through the jungle and they're moving at such a speed that they're on, they're able to, to unleash, uh, Vincent and, like, send Vincent back to the crew. Like, a lot going on. People are just, like, scrambling left and right and i kind of really loved that energy it was sort of on on my most recent rewatch of the show it was one of the things that i ended up enjoying the most about the final season is that there is sort of like this free-for-all quality about the action on the island Mm. it's really present here in confirmed dead so i've been i think i've been underrating this episode for a really long time and i'm here to apologize for that i think this confirmed dead is a really great episode of lost well, Riley says you're welcome, and I'm sure he has a lot to say in the essay that he sent to his great friend of the podcast, Riley. I think it's an interesting chess piece moving episode. Uh, because I mean, if you look at the on island stuff, there might be some kineticism like you're talking about, but this does feel like the first episode in a while where, yes, there might be some movement with new characters being introduced and what's happening, but I feel like it's been a while since we really have had something happen on the island that was more so like, okay, we're really just, uh, we're really cementing the mood and vibe of these two separate groups that divided up at the end of the episode. And that is not a bad thing. I, I am not going to give this episode a bad rating, but this episode is so different in so many ways between that. This is really the first time that we introduce characters via flashbacks. You know, every other time when it's been like a Juliet or a Desmond. All of our newbies are usually introduced, you know, first on the island, and then we get their big flashback to sort of fill in the details. For all intents and purposes, we find out about these four characters in the past first, trying to figure out how they react to Oceanic 815. That's another big one as well. These are the first set of flashbacks that really take place, you know, during the time that 815 was really spending time on the island where it was happening off island. There's a lot of weirdness going on in these episodes and i love weirdness and i love season four because of its weirdness so i do agree with you with your point that this does feel sort of like emblematic of a lot of what season four is especially to the point where you know there's certainly character stuff which i find interesting but i do think maybe this episode takes a bit of a backseat to big emotional character beats like we saw even as soon as last episode in honor of you know what's going on who are these four new people what secrets do they have let's run around the island yeah uh at the same time this episode has a really difficult task that task is uh is twofold one getting us invested in four characters who to varying degrees are going to be really really important uh for the show and the lore moving forward their their presences will certainly be felt yeah and then the other thing mike is like getting us excited about flashbacks when we are living in flash forward territory like when Mm -hmm. we're living in a world where like moving and looking towards the future is possible how is it that lost is going to be able to get us interested in looks back at characters right and I think this episode pulls it off because they, what they have to do with these flashback scenes is they have to like, 
you know, kind of like tell you at the, if not like the full story and the full picture of who these people are, then at least some really important defining traits. Like Daniel Faraday is clearly a genius, but he is emotionally messed up. He's ripped up about something. A little little mentally depraved. Something is, something has been like taken out of him and we don't take it now. We don't know what that is, but like that's the sense you get that there is something about Faraday that's genius, but not quite full. Um, with, with Miles, you get proof positive that this is a character who is powerful, that this is somebody mm-hmm. who is demonstrating a flex that we have not yet really seen on the show since I guess last week, uh, since Hurley started <laughs> talking to Ghost. So that's another thing with Charlotte. You get somebody who is like, hyper competent extraordinarily interested in the island you know that she really really wants to be here and she's got like some sort of whether it's a score that she has to settle score. or so, some sort of measure of unfinished business she has some deep connection to this place that she is looking to whether it's just like purely academic or something as we come to know uh very personal um and then you've got frank uh who is just outstanding amounts of energy and charisma and just like a very specific type of human uh and he just is that instantly uh and they have one scene each to accomplish all of these things in addition of course everything that happens on the island but they've got one it's it's not unlike in many ways mike it's not unlike uh the pilot uh and i and i think that that's kind of interesting because just as the pilot had uh you know a big plane crash at the heart of it and then we like spiraled out into a uh, little mini vignettes about three different characters this is a story in which another aircraft has some very distressful turbulence and uh a bunch of people get uh put into the spotlight in terms of these like little personal vignettes and we now have to like know them pretty well one of the things that we said that we loved about lost right out of the jump is how fully formed so many of those characters felt it's not a hundred percent of a hit here i think uh with the freighters but it's a really we're scoring more points than we're not yep i'd, I'd agree with that um first of all now i wonder if desmond caused the lightning to strike to take down the <laughs> chopper i mean he was he has known to experiment with lightning before i think what what is so genius about these flashbacks are actually to your point about season one, what a lot of those flashbacks did really well was that it really took us to what these characters were doing before they got on 815. Like, yeah. why were they in Australia? What took them there immediately? And then they sort of, sort of like ripples go further and further back to explore these characters further and fill in that, that sort of, uh, con, con- context and conjecture. The same thing happens here. I love, love, love the fact that all of these flashback scenes are couched in each of these characters' reactions to the quote-unquote finding of the wreckage of Oceanic 815. And, you know, it, it varies between Miles sort of just listening to it on the radio and not really giving a shit because he hasn't been approached yet for the job. Right. Daniel Faraday crying for what he thinks is no particular reason. Frank Lapidus introduced in an extremely interesting way because for the first time, really, we had this idea of sliding doors, almost this idea of a what if that is certainly answered at least you think initially in something like season six of oh clearly this is what happens if oceanic 815 uh you know touched down in la and then once you find out that things are a bit different than that that things are uh there's a lot more that's afoot there there's a lot of great solid work and in cementing it around their reaction to this event and their reaction to the characters at hand 
it does a great job of substantiating them. Uh, because unlike someone like Nikki and Paolo, where they are so yes, ingrained, to, great. Yes. ingrained to being survival survivors at that point, where like they naturally have attitudes towards everyone that we just don't know. These are all people that might know of 815, but they never interacted with them before. So through like the analogs, they're in being introduced to us and 815 at the same time. And it lets us discern those personalities a lot more. You know, Daniel Faraday is weird and quirky in all of his best Jeff Goldblumism. Miles is kind of an ass and snarky. Uh, Charlotte has her eyes wide full of wonder and Frank Lapidus is like stringing off those one liners right off the bat. So it's a, it's a really incredible introduction to four characters that, you know, your mileage may vary as to how long they, they stay and also sort of an introduction to like lost fantastic four in a manner of speaking. Uh, because really, Kind of with the exception of Charlotte, they all have their superpowers, right? You have Faraday, which we'll see him flex his time travel muscles starting as soon as next episode. Miles, he's the ghost whisperer. Lapidus, his role as a pilot is seminal to basically the major events of the next three seasons. Yeah. And, you know, Charlotte uh, doesn't like to have chocolate before dinner. Well, so they she don't, has- they, I think that they short shrift Charlotte ultimately, but like she is set up as like, uh, doesn't she have like her assistant saying like, what languages don't you speak? She's like, how many languages are there? Or something yeah, she like sort that. She serves as the Rosetta Stone. Like she'll make a yeah. joke later on about like how she can speak Klingon. So she's clearly very worldly uh, she's start- you know she she speaks korean so she's a character that's going to have some deep interactions with Jin. yeah exactly so you know i think all of these characters sort of had their quirks i mean they were brought to the island for that reason and so i think having a substantiated reason to not only bring them there but sort of like flex them in the plot works really really well and i think we're going to ask this throughout as to specifically when it comes to the arc of characters like faraday and charlotte how much of what they wanted to do with their end goals. How much does that buy into the way that we introduce them? Because certainly looking at their character arcs in retrospect really enriches the way that they're introduced in this episode. So uh, before we move into the episode, just a quick programming note. Um, so next week, we're talking about The Economist. We're moving into into episode three of season four. Uh, and normally we record these podcasts, one podcast a week. For the first time since our crazy season one binge that Mike and I did, where we binge recorded a bunch of episodes in a single block, uh, I think from like numbers through the finale, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. We basically did the last six episodes of oh, season that was one wild. over the course of like a month and a half period. Well, we're basically doing that again for reasons uh, that shall become clearer eventually. Uh, yeah, but John, we're not traveling. No, we're, we're not, not going anywhere. Don't worry. But we are sprinting through in terms of our recording. We're going to be sprinting through a lot of season four. So what we would like from you is if you can get us your feedback for the next few episodes and the next like i would say like for, for egg town you're gonna want to get that in by uh let's see we're gonna want egg town feedback sent our way as uh as early frankly as uh as december as february 11th uh so you'll want to get your feedback for egg town by february 11th your feedback for the constant you want to get that in by february 15th your feedback for the other woman we want that by february 17th your feedback for geon we want that by February 19th. So send all that in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. If you're not able to get that feedback in on that timetable, certainly understandable. The podcast is still coming out once a week. We just have to consolidate our recording schedule for the next little while. So that's the plan. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Send us your stuff. 
once we get back on our weekly, uh, our weekly, our weekly nonsense, Mike, we'll be able to be taking that feedback live. And I'm sure that we'll have like a lot of stuff that we'll want to process from the past few weeks of uh, binge recording. And look, we just offered up an opportunity to all of the hatchlings on a silver platter. Go ahead and watch as much of season four as you want. Yeah, sprint through it. Sprint through it. Uh, It's going to be fun. I mean, I've been doing a little bit of that myself as well because I've been pulling sounds for these episodes. It's been really, really fun to just like kind of like power watch season four. And now Mm -hmm. I'm going to do like the real granular stuff going through season four. Mike, I'm appreciating season four a lot more right Uh, now than I normally do. I'm having a great time. I'm having a great time. It's it's a lot of fun. And look, uh, you know, we're 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 not exactly going to hit. Highs, high, high highs each and every week, but it's a strong start so far. I know we haven't even gotten into the episode yet, but it just makes me, reminds me of how much I loved season four, the audaciousness of everything between Hurley being able to talk to Ghost, that big twist last week, and now this week just throwing in four new characters complete with flashbacks, a thing that I think you and I both agree they're able to pull off uh, with, with, at least moderate success. It's it's a it's a great old time overall here on Down the Hatch, and that makes me even more excited to sort of uh, take a very big sprint, complete with Jakino score backing me up through the jungle in this next little stretch of time. Yes, same here. Uh, now, before we move forward any further than that, quick shout out to our sponsors for this episode of Post Show Recaps. Those are our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure, you do, and I bet it could be hard work. You know, it's easy. Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Mike Bloom, we go forth into the jungle, confirmed dead, directed by Stephen Williams, written by Drew Goddard and Brian K. Vaughn, a powerhouse trio of creatives that we just name dropped. It originally aired February 7th, 2008. Uh, oh my God, how close this is to, to being that. Oh uh, yeah, we're almost uh, 13 years removed from the actual yes. date that it aired. Yes, it centers on Daniel Faraday, Charlotte Lewis, Miles Strom, Frank Lapidus, and the dead body of Naomi Doris. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the interesting thing as well, is we get a little bit more shaded in on Naomi, too, and I like that as well. You know, this really, the flashbacks gave me so much flashbacks to Exodus, and I, I'm I'm saddened uh, that maybe with the exception of the incident, that we, and obviously with the end, that we don't really get it often, the ability to sort of, like, dart around to multiple characters in flashback structure. I know that inherently, they're more so focused around one or two characters, but, you know, it's it's always a bit nice to have some chocolate before dinner to change up your routine. And so I, I love how essentially each act of this episode opens with a different flashback highlighting a different character, even if one of them is uh, dead at the moment. They're still talking to Miles. All right. So the episode begins in a really unusual way. It's cold open uh, where we are. Very cold underwater. Yes. We're in the depths of the ocean. I don't know. Is it warm down there? Who knows? I'm not there. I, I, don't, I, know. Think, I think it's I don't exactly. know how water works. No, I believe that uh, when you do like deep sea diving, I think you have to wear insulation because I think temperature I don't know, I don't know how water works. Light, light doesn't reach all the way down there, Josh. <laughs> it's freezing. I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, it's like a secret jacuzzis. Imagine well, all think, these octopuses. They're like, ooh, look at my little jacuzzi. Yeah, there might be little, like, uh, I don't know, Mike. Springs, but as someone who has an immense fear of open water, I've studied it 
so much to yeah. know like exactly what I, I might die from and hypothermia is certainly one of them i have no idea it's an underwater drone james cameron's the pilot uh <laughs> and we're going down and like there's these people being like oh we can't find it there we're in the trenches and all this oh shit look at the plane the plane and it's oceanic 815 and we had heard about this at the end of season three uh when naomi said like you're all dead and we got that great hurly gif of what uh, and so now we're getting to see that it's not just Naomi's bullshit. The world really does believe this. And that's important that this episode is establishing this, that the world really does truly firmly believe that there are no survivors of Oceanic 815 because they have recovered the wreckage and we have seen the B.O.D. Y.S. And now we're seeing that with our own eyes as well. And that should be weirding us out sufficiently yep. because we know that they're that. That, that's not our guys, right? And if they are, then what the hell, bro? Like, what does that mean? And <laughs> you so, like, told the, them, you lied to us, Lindelof and Q's. You told I, us I, they weren't dead. You know, I think in the moment, like, still, if you know, in like the live viewing, like, there is still a little bit of like that, like, disconcerting, like, what are they doing on the show? So Energy let, to it. Let's bring in some other stuff here. We'll sort of intersperse it sure. throughout because we got we got to talk about an element outside of the show that the great friend behind the curtain uh, put in our laps this week. Because I know that once upon a time, Josh, you talked about the the first lost ARG, the lost experience. But there was one between seasons three and four called Find Eight One Five, which sort of revolved around uh, you played this character who uh, had gone on to the I think the Christian One, uh, which is the the boat that Winmore hires to sort of scour the Sundra Trench to find what they believe at the time is just the Black Rock. So when you hear these two guys pulling a move out of the abyss and scouring the depths of the ocean, they're not looking for Oceanic Game 15 They're looking for the Black Rock at, at Winmore's behest. Yeah. Uh, and so that sort of leads into the events of Confirmed that Apparently, this opening scene inspired, like, I guess they, I'm assuming they sort of took events from that to inform that entire ARG experience, but this is yet another version of, you know, stuff from outside of the Lost Show proper bleeding into the canon, that there was an entire mission via ARG during the Yachtus between seasons to try to find 815 on your own. Yeah, well, uh, we found them. You know, you didn't even have to participate in any ARGs. Uh, to see that this is, this is the, this is the wreckage. We found it. It's here. And, uh, we, uh, we cut from this weird little drone footage, this little drone discovery, and we stick in the past for a minute, Mike, and why don't we turn it to sound number one? This haunting footage comes to us from the Christiane One, a salvage vehicle in the Indian Ocean. For more than two months, it's been scouring the depths of the Sunda Trench off Bali in search of the remains of sunken trading ships. Late last night, the Christiane deployed two remotely operated vehicles, or ROVs, that verified what the National Transportation Safety Board had long feared that the commercial aircraft... How do you want your eight stand? <laughs> so what happened? They found that missing plane? Yeah. Yeah. Even with this tragic discovery... Dan, why are you so upset? ...without any because that's where you die. You yeah, because you die there. You, when you when you when you go to the island, you die there. Yeah, but I guess on sort of a good news side, this is but the good news. You go to the 1970s first, and then you come back to the island, and then you die there. Yeah, and but at least for a little while, like you get your memories back. You get to help a guy mm -hmm. talk to his to his you know his soon to be wife. Like there's some pretty good times before it all ends up falling apart. But you do uh, die. You, you do die there. 
Yeah, you definitely do die there, and some part of you knows that, and that's why you're crying well, so at this moment. I, I mean, this is really fun. It's a great introduction to Faraday. It's a very different version of the character than we were left off with last week. Yeah, complete with a very different hairstyle. You know, he just looks a little different. He's very upset. He's, like, you know, tweaking out. He's, like, uh, you know, full-body panic as he's watching this footage. And I think that there's a lot of, like, speculation to be done. Um, I think at this point in time, because the this gets replayed for the variable, uh, right. and Charles right. Whitmore and so the, shows up. That woman that you might assume is his wife is actually his caretaker, who's uh, who's basically taking care of him because he's been undergoing these memory issues because of all the time travel nonsense. Right. So he's been he's been doing all these experiments, and you know, part of me wonders like. How much does this Faraday remember of like the constant, right? Like how much does he remember about Desmond? You know, because mm. he does help Desmond out. How much is that canonical? How much is that like linear for Daniel Faraday that earlier in his life, a time traveler came to him and convinced him that you're on the right path, sir. Uh, and he starts doing some of those experiments on himself and how much of that is to blame for his own consciousness and how much we don't know, like how much does Faraday know about like his own life on the island? How much hopping around did he do? I think mm-hmm. all of that is like speculative headcanon type stuff. Um, but I think like it beyond any like plot that you're trying to figure out and any kind of retconning that you're trying to do here with Faraday, which is fun to do. Um, what matters more to me is like, it's establishing this character as like a, like a sensitive, fragile human. Uh, and he's, I, he's, I he's mysterious yet caring is what yes. I wrote in, in my notes is that like he is sort of you even get the sense in this episode on Island that he is sort of like the heart of the freighters. He's the one that I think uh, is a bit more empathetic than his compatriots. Uh, but at the same time, you know, his his brain and heart are sort of connected in a very different way from those that are on the freighter as well. And so it's a great microcosm of who he is as a character in that he is very emotionally attached, but there aren't exactly a lot of answers behind him, at least at the moment. Like, he certainly has an explanation, but it almost provides more questions than answers. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's great. I think it's a really great introduction to Faraday. Uh, and it's cool that we follow him. He's the perspective. He's, you know, he's the eyes and ears and boots on the ground as we go to the helicopter. We jump back to the quote-unquote present. Uh, and the helicopter's flying through a storm, and Frank's telling everybody to get out. So you're seeing everybody. You're seeing, like, mm-hmm. the, the core freighter crew. Uh, and everybody's jumping out, and we follow Faraday out with the parachute, and he lands, and uh, Jack and Kate are on the approach and you see that Daniel has a gun and he like very clumsily tucks it away. Yeah, but this will prove that, you know, we're going to get introduced to the most renegade person himself, uh, Martin Kimi, in a few episodes. Very uh, happily so, Faraday is no Kimi. Between, you heard this in the intro clip, his like inability to really cover or lie in the face of Jack and Kate. And here, when it's very clear that he does not necessarily know how to handle a firearm at this point. Correct. Uh, so Faraday tells Jack and Kate, he says, are you Jack? He's like, yeah, who are you? I'm Daniel Faraday. I love how he says that. I'm Daniel Faraday. Uh, he says, I'm Daniel Faraday. I'm here to rescue you. A very Luke Skywalker taking Carl's job right now. Yeah, exactly. And so we, we sort of get the tail end of how episode one ended. And now, you know, the rain's gone. And now they're they're back sort of, you know, basically catching up on, okay, here's everything that's going on. But we really start to get the seeds being planted of, okay, this is great that there are rescuers, but why do they have a gun? Why do they have a gun? Indeed, it's a very good question. Um, So they're going to find out that he has a gun here very soon. We go back with Faraday and 
Uh, he's talking to, he's talking to Jack and he's talking about how there were four of us on this helicopter. I don't know how many got off the chopper. I lost my pack. If only I had a phone. And Kate's like, oh, I've got a phone. And Daniel's like, oh, sweet. So he calls up, uh, Fisher Steves, little Fisher Stevens, Minkowski. uh, Mid transition, because we're going to hear from Regina later on. So clearly this is before he really gets into the the throes of his own time travel illness. This has Uh, to be like five seconds before Minkowski (laughs) starts to go nuts. Yeah, this might be the last conversation that Minkowski ever has on the phone. But I do love, at least Minkowski has the, the, (laughs) has like the mental capacity to be able to be like, wait a minute, am I on speaker? It's such a great line. Am I on speaker right now? Uh, Because Daniel doesn't really know. He's not a soldier. And he's like, oh yeah, this is probably bad. Uh, So he like goes off and Kate sees that Faraday's got a gun in his pants. Um and like you know, I guess like definitely raise your your alarms. Uh, but also, you've been on this island, and if these people are here to rescue you, then maybe like it makes sense that they're coming to this island like a little bit more prepared. Um, but either way, she's a gun. She's like, uh oh, all yeah, right. And, and even Jack is starting to you know we'll find out the full meaning of tell my sister I love her later on. But Jack even at this moment is a little bit like. Yeah, okay. Maybe something happened when Naomi talked to them. Yes. That's, that's a little below the surface there. Yeah, so uh Faraday and, and Jack and Kate are talking, and he's like, where's the rest of your people? I'm like, well, they're at the beach. Uh, most of them are at the beach. It turns out that half the camp is with John Locke, and John Locke is back to his old tricks. Mike, mm-hmm. he loves it when a, he loves it when a rainstorm uh, starts dumping on him, and it's yeah, monsooning. When he gets to play meteorologist and then guess the exact moment when the rain will stop. Yeah, so that's what he's doing is everyone else is like huddling under a tree and Locke is doing his weird thing again where he's like, I love that rain. And then when it stops, he's like, it's going to stop in five seconds. And everyone's like, oh, my God, what a weird guy that like just like stabbed a woman and we're reluctantly following and is now just like taking very proud rain baths in front of all of us. John Locke's a creep. Uh, John Locke's in like very full creep mode, I think, in this oh, episode. Yeah. I, I, I would love to be in the head. Maybe, uh, Rich Filberto put this in for when we go back to the Lost role playing game of like, if Billy and Rodney joined Locke, they're like, okay, I immediately regret this. Yeah. Locke is very creepy because this is the first time that outside of, you know, the big speech that Locke makes in the beginning of season three, this is the first time Locke's really showcasing his leadership when it comes to 815. And a lot of stuff happens under his watch. And as we're about to hear in sound number two, yeah, and as we're about to hear in sound number two, though, uh, Locke at least does, I guess he got washed clean by the rain, so he might as well come clean as to the reason why he feels like he knows what he's doing and is able to lead the group thusly. Yeah, Yeah, sound number two. Why are you going east? I thought you said the barracks were due south. Because, James, we have to make a little detour first. Detour to what? There's a cabin I have to go to. Rather the cabin was back that way. What did you say, Hugo? Uh-oh. I, uh, thought you were talking about the airplane cabin. Why are we wasting our time going to some shack anyway? Because we were supposed to. Right. Like you were supposed to throw a knife into that Naomi chick's back. Uh-huh. You mind telling us who you're getting your orders from, Colonel Kurtz? I got him from Walt. So many good stuff. I know we can't cover the visual perspective, but Ben and Locke's looks when Hurley talks about the cabin, if it like they could just you could write an entire essay about mm-hmm. that. They yeah. are shocked 
beyond belief that, oh, okay, I guess Jacob is now talking to Hurley now. That changes the game, certainly. We should have known, huh? You know, like, we really should have known that this guy, this Hugo Reyes, was the was going to be the man at the end of it all. Yeah, do you think Ben is like, okay, now I guess I have to, he has to be my boss from now on? Or he's probably like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to kill that guy, too. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully no, he but, has two kidneys. You know, he's underestimating Hurley. I don't think that he he's really even thinking about him. Um, but it but it is great. I love the line. Who'd you get your orders from, Colonel Kurtz? Is, yeah, is well, I believe good. Charlie called Hurley. I want to say Colonel Kurtz or Once Lock Colonel time, Kurtz back in yeah. back in season one. So this is not the first time, but this is truly, I think, more of the comparison, right? Of like the heart of darkness. Locke has fully gone into the heart of the jungle and has now sort of like lost his mind or at least some of his humanity with it, at least from viewed from the perspective of 815 concerning that. As Sawyer mentions here, he did murder a person and is now like, dum-de-dum-de-dum, Walt told me to. You know, taller Walt, not a giant, but still taller Walt. Yeah. Um. So this episode hops all over the place. There's a lot of different storylines that are happening, uh, including uh, this storyline with Juliet and Sight. Yeah, this uh, might is how many scenes have these two shared together? You know, like, he, he confronted her with Sawyer back in season three. You know, he he was there when they recruited her at the barracks um, in uh, Left Behind. But do we so, have any so- Saeed Juliet two handers? Not, not many that come to mind. I think that this is it. I'm pretty sure that yeah, this, this is going to be Yeah, because this is the, the season one MVP and current MVP and the season three MVP talking to each other. Yeah, so it's it's. I don't think that it's going to happen again because uh, Saeed's going to get on the helicopter next week and he's you know only going to be dipping back and forth from the island a little bit that way and he's not going to see Juliet again and I don't think that he has too many meaningful interactions directly with Juliet during mm-hmm. season five because he's busy being a prisoner and he and shoots he, Ben and then, and then he gets shot. He gets shot and then yeah. he dies and, and then but she she's dies. dead. Yeah. <laughs> so they're sort of ships in the night, Mike. Uh, so let's enjoy it while we've got them because I think that they get along pretty well here. They they pull off a pretty cool move coming up uh, as they're sitting on the beach. They haven't heard from Jack. They haven't seen the freighter, uh, but it would be coming from the other side of the island. And uh, Saeed's like, so you know this whole thing that the freighter folk are bad. Should we like, be taking that seriously in Juliet's as well? You know, Ben could be saying that because he's a lying liar, or he could be saying that because he's somebody who knows a lot of stuff. And maybe it's worth going and getting some guns either way. Yeah, I was going to say, I Juliet definitely taking a page out of Ben's book here with it could be one thing, or it could be the other thing. Granted, right. I'm glad they went with the latter, even though, you know, well, it will be ultimately proven that the freighter are more so the former, that they are definitely more of the scouting team and less so the I'm going to go in and shoot Benjamin Linus in the head Correct. type of team that, that is soon to come. But they had every right to distrust them. And I do like the team up, too, of Juliet and Saeed. Like you said, uh, very, not too long ago, they were at uh, opposite sides of sort of the suspicion against her. But now, sort of like what happened with Saeed and Sawyer in that episode, one of them, uh, or one of us, they're able to now sort of be unlikely allies together as they cast suspicion towards a third party. Yeah. Um, so they're teaming up. Um, all right. So back in the jungle, uh, Jack and Kate follow Faraday to this crate. It's his stuff and it's filled with hazardous waste gear. And they're both just like, Oh, Oh, uh, all right. Well, I guess we'd forgotten about that whole quarantine thing. Uh, and so like, Hey, Daniel, why do you have all this hazardous waste gear? And Daniel's like, I'm not in charge of the packing. And Jack's like, okay, but why the gun? <laughs> and Faraday's like, ah, uh, 
And this is where know. this is where we get that infamous line that was also heard in the the season four trailer we played mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, rescuing you and your people. Yeah. Can't really Can't say, say that's say a, it's that's our, our, pr- our primary objective. Primary objective. <laughs> I love Daniel Faraday. Jeremy da- Davies is so good. Daniel Jeremy Davies is a master of the forty five degree head tilt. He we loves about this, this. Lucia, but he yeah. loves to look at someone a bit, you know, a uh, bit cockeyed, if you will. Yeah, I don't really know who packed the stuff. Uh, I can't really say, Jack. Oh, no. Uh, oh, beep, 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 beep. Oh, it's Miles. No, oh, it's, we gotta go. It's Miles. Let's go find Miles, my friend Miles. So shiny new object. And Faraday's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Stopping down just for a second. Like, Faraday, don't tell them that rescuing them isn't your primary objective. TMI, bro. Yeah, this is, it's a tough thing. Cause like, I would, I, I think it's a bit of a wash for Daniel Faraday this episode. Cause he is ultimately like very supportive and I think helps prevent someone like Jack or Kate from getting immediately killed by someone as trigger happy as Miles. But again, I'll say he proves himself to be a terrible liar. Uh, maybe it's just because he has so much information at the top of his head swirling around that throwing in deception in there does sort of overloads this, yeah. overloads the computer. But uh, he's just he's too forthcoming. I think he's too trusting. Ultimately, that's why he ends up dying at the hands of his mother. A little bit too trusting. So he's like, oh, it's Miles, it's Miles, it's Miles. Meanwhile, the lock crew they continue to walk, and sort of like, tell me more about Walt. That he's like taller, like a giant. Uh, it would have been hilarious if it was like big ass, like we're talking yeah. Lilliputian from Gulliver's Travels, <laughs> giant ass Walt. Picks him up like, come on, John, uh, you've yeah. got work to do now. Yeah. Apparently, giant ghost Walt told uh, Locke, taller ghost Walt is obviously like a big piece of the lost pop culture. If like you're a super lost nerd. So it's a fun moment. Yeah. Because uh, I think Sawyer is going to refer to that like with his own posthumous nickname correct. later on of taller ghost Walt. Taller ghost Walt. Uh, and Locke says, he told me that I had work to do and that I had to throw a knife in that woman's back. So I guess like, it was very specific orders. Uh, so like the rest of that scene, Mike, was Walt being like, all right, get up. You have more work to do. And there's a woman at the radio tower who you have to literally throw a knife into. Remember when me, quote unquote, me, you taught how to throw a knife? Well, now I, want you I to do the shall same return thing. the favor. Imagine yeah. that woman's back is a tree. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then uh, I, why does Locke decide this is the right time to be like, uh, by the way, I got shot. And not shocked, shot. Uh, oh, because I got shocked. I tell you, shocked and shot once upon a time. Uh, it was a through and through, Mike. It was an entry and exit wound uh, on either side of the bullet wound from Ben. Locke says, "I'd be dead if I still had my kidney." Do we get? Should we give Anthony Cooper an MVP point for saving uh, Locke's life? Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. Obviously, Ben wasn't aiming for that, but it's almost like the island had a better use for him, so it almost like guided the bullet in yeah. a manner of speaking. I mean, I think this is very clearly like Locke proving he himself is a miracle in this moment. Because again, this is Locke sort of at the height of his own perspective of power. You know, I came back from the dead. Uh, a true miracle happened to me. Therefore, I am the person to lead you. The island chose me. And so this really is, I think, I wouldn't say Lockett is cockiest, or, but certainly at his lockiest. And mm. that he believes that he is the one, he's the one who's preordained to speak on behalf of the island. And he has proof in that. Look what the island was able to do to him. And he lived to tell the tale. Yeah. Uh, so everyone's like, okay, well, we're not going to talk about that anymore. Uh, Daniel Faraday leads Jack and Kate to, uh, the Kelvin Inman rocks back in the mm. day. Uh, and Miles is just like wrapped up in a parachute. Uh, and Jack goes to help him. Surprise! Miles is not unconscious. He's got a gun as well. So many guns. Very tense standoff as Miles has the gun 
on Jack. And Kate's like, oh, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And even Faraday's like, hey, Miles, come on, man. And as he's doing that, Kate is slowly reaching for the gun if it's in his jeans. If she had taken the gun, that would have been interesting. But Miles essentially breaks down what he believes is the truth of the situation, saying like, hey, don't let the gun near the woman who killed Naomi. Yeah, and so it's like, how does he know that? Well, we'll find out in a second. First, we got to find out who this Miles guy is. And so we've got a flashback. We're in Inglewood. Which Ingle- is, I, I don't know too much California geography. Is that near the Santa Rosa ghost hub? Uh, I mean, it's LA. It's not far from LAX. I don't know where Santa Rosa is in, uh, in, in Los Angeles geography, according to Lost. Yeah, uh, let's see I if wonder, I can't find yeah, that out. Cause we're going to find a couple, I think in some like at Hoth as well, we're going to get a flashback to Miles dealing with other cases. I wonder, like, does it only work for him either, like, on the island where he's from or from, like, the immediate era within these hubs? Yeah, Uh, so uh, Santa Rosa, it's uh, just outside of L.A., but it doesn't say where. Um, Had a thought. I've been marinating on this a little bit more. Since since last week when we sort of have uh, co-opted the theory that one of the hubs of uh, possible paranormal activity is in L.A., which is one of the reasons why Santa Rosa was such a, a big founding point for Hurley when it comes to seeing ghosts. Also, also the lamppost is there, so we yep. do know canonically that Los Angeles is one of these hot spots. Uh, and so it could help explain the Santa Rosa piece of it. But one thing that I was thinking about was in terms of like the whatever happened happened of it all. And it's, I'm going to try and talk through it in a way that makes some kind of sense, but I'm probably going to get lost in the vortex of it, so I apologize. Help pull me out if I get lost there, Mike. Um, Whatever happens, happens. Those are the time travel rules on Lost. If, uh, mm-hmm. if, you know, if, if Hurley goes back in time into the 1970s, then that always happened. Hurley was always at some point in time back in the 1970s, but it doesn't mean he's going to make it out of there alive. But Hurley will travel back in time to the 1970s, as will Miles. Miles, who's going to spend a good amount of time there as an adult who already has his like ghost uh his ghost powers at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to link up with Hurley. Hurley and Miles are going to be going on a couple of adventures together during the 1970s. They're going to meet up with Miles' father, Pierre Chang. They're going to spend some time near, like, the radiation site of the electromagnetic site of the Swan Station. Is it possible that, like, some of, like, Hurley's ghost powers rub off on Miles, like, young Miles as a Hmm. kid who's there on the island... And thereby, like, Miles gets ghost powers somehow through, like, his association with Hurley, which means somehow Hurley gets his ghost powers by his association with Miles. So the two of them are on some sort of, like, ghost power time loop. My question would be why Miles specifically? I don't know, because it's just whatever happened, happened. Yeah, I don't know, because from that perspective, maybe Lost 2 is Sawyer leaves the island, and now Sawyer can see ghosts. Yeah, right? (laughs) Maybe just people early is meaningfully interacted with. It it spreads in that regard. I guess the the difference is is that their powers are a little different, right? Like, Hurley can see them. I don't believe Miles can see ghosts. No, it seems like he just talks to them. I think he he can actually just commune with them and and hear their voices. So if there is sort of a, a rubbing off of powers, it's a little bit one degree removed. 
Yeah. If anyone's got a good theory about that, it's very, very nascent. Yeah, it's, it's, sort of it's, it's really interesting. You know, uh, Eric Divestein wrote in and asked, was it a mistake for the show to reveal Miles' superpower in flashbacks so early? It removes any mystery over why Miles would want to go to Naomi's body. But I think to your point, it is interesting as well as essential to have Miles' power be revealed in this episode. Because first, it draws our eyes as a person of interest. You know, we're going to find out about Faraday's superpower a couple of episodes from now. But I think that Miles is someone who actually possesses these paranormal abilities. But as I spoke about last week, it just continues to hammer home that all-too-important nail of pay attention to what happens after we die. Yes. Uh, because that's going to be the focal point of the final season and the biggest twist of the show. And so it really is a one-two punch of just... You know, from multiple perspectives, multiple characters that, to your point, might have arguably rubbed off on one another, saying, okay, the afterlife and people dying, but not necessarily leaving this plane of existence is something you really want to shift your focus on to, Lost Viewers. Yeah. All right. So, in the past, in Inglewood, Miles goes and visits uh, a woman who uh, her her child, had, or grandson, grandson, rather, has been murdered. Uh, for 200 bucks, he's going to do some, uh, some spiritual cleansing, some exorcism, perhaps. Uh, and he goes upstairs. He puts together some kind of like vacuum cleaner type device that I never really fully understood. It's Ghostbusters equipment. Well, yeah. well folks. and it's very much fake Ghostbusters equipment, right? Like this is clearly, I think, to make some white noise so that they probably, she wouldn't hear exactly what Miles is saying or also maybe to cover noise of, I don't know, pushing a bookcase aside and rummaging around for drug money. Yeah. Uh, this is very clearly, because I believe actually in some like at Hoth, I don't think he even uses the equipment. So I think it's very clear. This is not necessarily a con, but something to, I think, put forward a certain facade to other people that is not necessary for his actual use of powers. Mike, I have watched Lost, I don't know how many times at this point. Uh, and Every single time I was like, what's he doing with that machine? Well, is that part of his ghost busting equipment? And you've just completely myth busted it for me. And I appreciate it so much because it's always annoyed me. But of course, it's literally just a white noise machine. So no one hears him like talking to the ghost. <laughs> like, hey, where's your like, drug money? Imagine if there are like whale noises. No, that he accidentally piped in. incredible. Like he's like waterfall sounds. <laughs> Or like a baby's heartbeat. Like, oh, that's mm-hmm. odd. Why did I hear that from downstairs? Oh, yeah, you know, uh, the heartbeat was just fading yeah. away. The last is signs a, of life. Is that a cat purring in that room? You know, like, what's all like he's just using the call map? Yeah, or he's using like ASMR and it just like and he's hooked up to their playing in the middle of things. Yeah. Uh, so, so thank you for clearing this up for me because you're absolutely right. That's great. Um, so Miles turns on the, the white noise machine, uh, just to relax maybe too. You yeah. know, like maybe just helps him zen out a little bit. Uh, and he's going to have a conversation with the dead. doing your grandmother any good staying here man causing her a lot of pain i i want to go downstairs and tell her you've gone but the only way i'm going to be able to do that is if you tell me where it is
Okay, so where is it? Peace now. Here. You get a refund. Half off. Wasn't as tricky as I thought. So just like Faraday, I think this is a great introductory what a racket, scene. By the way, it's like, oh, well, here's like, I just pocketed like three thousand bucks. Here's a hundred dollar discount. What a and turd! So, and so that's the thing is that <laughs> I think that this is a great introductory scene to Miles, much much like Faraday, in that yeah. especially in the beginning stages of season four, Miles is kind of a mixed bag. You know, like he is someone who at least has the the heart to not completely swindle this this poor old woman out of like a bunch of money. He does give some of it back. But like you said, that's only after he takes a big wad of cash and some drugs he could sell for more money uh, without even telling her anything. So and we'll talk about this later on that I think Miles's greed is one of the biggest things driving him to do many of the things that he does in season four. But it's a very interesting introduction to a character who has so much bubbling underneath the surface. Yeah. Uh, so I have been somebody who I didn't love Miles uh, in my first few watches. I always kind of thought that like, we have this snarky character. We have so many of the snarky characters. Uh, I've come to appreciate Miles a lot more. I'm tracking him pretty closely here on this watch. And he really does start as just like, sort of like this really sour guy yeah. who's really only here because of the money and I guess also because, as we come to find out in some like it Hoth, that he thinks that Naomi is very Hoth. Uh, <laughs> and so, like, that's really about it. And, like, he is yet another character who, like all the best cowboys, has daddy issues, mm-hmm. confirmed dad. Uh, and, uh, he is, he is a really, you know, he's a real piece of work. There's a lot to untangle here. I think that he may be miles for me as far as being like a deep, important character is another one who gets a little bit short shifted by the fact that like we're in this point where lost just has to move really quickly right so the times to really stop down and drill into him feel a little bit fewer and further between but maybe i'm totally wrong about that i want to shout out of course your friend in mind mike the great jessica lease yeah. miles is jess's favorite character on the show by far uh and i know that there are people who who definitely feel really 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 high on miles i've definitely come around on him he always ticks upward for me every time i watch the show um so let's see where he goes on this rewatch because i'm probably like uh, you know, like he's, he's not going to be a huge MVP contender for me off the top of my head. 
of the freighters, there's a different one who is going to be getting mm-hmm. most of my points. Um, but I'm I'm really really psyched to to track him, and he does land uh, as sort of just like this fully formed uh, douche. Well, I think actually his introduction and arc is actually pretty comparable to the man that he is going to be partnered with in the Flash Sideways universe. I gotta go. I get a lot of Sawyer energy from Miles. In a variety of ways. First, it's that snarkiness, even in moments where he feels like, you know, he's pressured or in moments of heightened tension. He still shows some snark, as we'll show in this episode. He is certainly not afraid to to get money out of people, even when it comes to, like, exploiting them, their fears, their hopes, their wants, etc. But he also does have sort of, like, his own personal story that can cloud his judgment from being like a capital E evil person. And yeah. so to your point, I do think that maybe initially he does come off as a bit of like a Sawyer light in that capacity and like, hey, let, you know, we don't need to stop for Sawyer. We have a perfectly good Sawyer at home, as the meme says. But I do think that like the way his character grows and especially the way that he falls into the rest of the crew with the beginning of season five, you know, he is the lone freighter member to really survive that entire thing and him and frank don't really meet up for a long time so he's really repping the freighters for a good portion of season five and six i think the way that he sort of ends up falling into the crew is a really interesting transition that i agree i was not a huge fan of miles early on but i i guess that was the intention too is that we were supposed to look at this weird greedy ghost whisperer and how he is somehow able to fall in line with the rest of 815. A big turnkey moment for me is um, his relationship with Sawyer, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and, and the fact that the two of them clearly after three years on the island together, I actually think that Miles is very, very important to Sawyer's ultimate arc because Sawyer is able to become who he becomes, not just because he's like madly in love with Juliet and that that opens up a different side of him, but also because the people that he's left behind with are uh, people that he's able to become really tight with. He and Jin really go back. They, you know, they have a lot of history together. They were on the raft together, Uh, you know, so he and Jin have a really close uh, thing. And I'm sure as like Jin is able to to speak English more thoroughly, like just the communication channels open up even more. Um, But for uh, Sawyer and his relationship, and and I like to imagine like Jin teaching Sawyer a lot about what it's like to be like a good spouse and yep. how to be romantic. And like when Jin shows up with the flower and the fl- when Sawyer shows up with the flower on the floor, I'm saying Jin mm-hmm. for a very specific reason no, because it's, it, it's a move out of the Jin Kwan playbook. Like you imagine he got schooled on that by by Jin. Um, but the fact that Sawyer and Miles are like Hurley's going to say about Miles next week, I think. Uh, or he's like, oh, good, another Sawyer. Uh, yeah. you know, like the, it actually makes sense that you get another Sawyer and that these two Sawyers being together and trapped in this isolating situation in the seventies during the Dharma days allows the two of them to both feel like they have somebody who they speak a similar language with and they can just really be really, really, really tight friends. And I think without that tight friendship, uh, of somebody who is like so, so much just like vibes on your frequency. You could be lost. Uh, and so I think that Miles' inclusion in the show, just talking this through in terms of like, well, Miles maybe isn't super important. Like, I think he's actually critical, a critical piece of Sawyer's growth. Well, I also think he's a critical part of the emotional heft that comes with the latter part of season five in the 70s and that you know there is a lot of okay all our characters are in the 70s hey isn't it fun we're watching ethan being born etc but miles and with the and also i guess young charlotte are really the only two who have like 
emotional ties to the past in the island. And so, you know, when the question comes as to, you know, should we detonate this bomb? Should we undo everything that really plagues the minds of a lot of these people in the back part of season five? Miles is able to bring some heart into that that might not exist with some of these other characters that are just, you know, tourists in the 1970s, which is odd because, again, he comes across as one of the more heartless characters in his introduction. When we end up going back through time and we actually connect with his own roots to the island, that's where he's able to find his heart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm so many good things to talk about now that Miles is on the board. This is actually really fun. All right. So, and meanwhile, now we come back to Miles and he's just being a dick. Uh, so he's yelling at Jack. She's like, Naomi, Naomi said, say hi to my, she doesn't have a sister. It's a code for having a gun at your head. Like right now, Jack would be saying, tell my sister I love her. And you'd be like, what? You'd be like, what about Claire? What's, what's going on? I know. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a little provocative on, on, uh, on that front, but I just love that line from miles uh he wants to go and see naomi uh, and kate's like why she's dead and you're not gonna know what happened and miles says oh i'll know yep exactly but that's another reason why as well is that yes there might be a bit of a mystery uh solved immediately when miles is like i need to go see naomi's body concerning that he can talk to ghosts but i don't know i if i don't know where else he would want to put this flashback then like i'm fine with the immediate answer and then the question, just so we can sort of move on with, like you said, this very, like, breakneck pace. Also, a fun little trotting out of a lost catchphrase of Faraday calling Jack and Kate good people. Yes, right, right, right. They're on the list. Uh, no, I think it's important that, like, with Miles, there's no mystery about whether or not he's got the power. He has yeah. it very clearly. Uh, and I think that's cool. I think that's cool. I, I like that... Uh, at this stage and lost, like the show is like more wholeheartedly embracing the fact that some of their, their characters are uh, capable of having superpowers. Why not? It's yeah, and, I, and I also think that it's also a great sort of threat to them as well, right? Like if miles can talk to the dead, the dead will certainly talk. And the dead has a lot to say. I'm sure Boone has a lot of stuff to say about John Locke and Lucia and Libby have a lot to say about the guy who's sharing a freighter space with, with Miles. So it, it does sort of present a new dynamic as well that we got a glimpse of with Hurley, but we don't know like was Hurley can Hurley only talk to people off the island. Now right. we have a new factor pouring in of, like you said, a verifiable source who can now be able to commune with those that have left and get some answers maybe and, and maybe dig up some more truth behind what's exactly going on on the island, despite what Kate and Jack might be trying to put forward. A hundred percent. All right. So he wants to see Naomi. Meanwhile, with the lock group, uh, Ben is tied up and, uh, Ben wants to talk to Alex and Carl stands up to, to like get in the way. And I love Ben being Carl. Yeah. I love that delivery of Michael. Carl. Because what could, what could Carl's like a oh, Mr. Linus, like with all due respect, please don't talk to like, Oh, Carl. Oh, Carl. If you're going to do my daughter, I insist you call me Ben. <laughs> and so, uh, Carl leaves. Uh, and, uh, and Sawyer is gonna step up to Ben. He's on Ben detail. Uh, but not for long. And Ben is about to chart on the Benjamin Linus beatdown counter once again. Mind if I ask you a question, James? Yeah, I do. Why'd you leave Kate behind? Wasting your time, Yoda. I know it's not pleasant, but let's face it. You really don't stand a chance now. Chance of what? Chance. Look at yourself. Yes, on this island, you're brave, daring, handsome. You're someone. But if you left with them, 
Back in the real world, a low-life scam artist like you could never compete with a first-class surgeon. I think Kate was really upset when you made your choice to come with us. Thank God she has Jack there to comfort her. Jane! Don't! Don't what? Anyone want to tell me why we're keeping this guy alive? We're keeping him alive because he's been on this island a lot longer than any of us. Because he has information we need. And because apart from his mouth, he's completely harmless. His mouth put that hole in your gun. James, let's let's execute him right here, right now, in front of his daughter. It's only a matter of time before he gets us, Johnny. And I bet he's already figured out how he's gonna do it. So you walk in. Something I never noticed before that I love as, you know, Locke proposes, go ahead, kill Ben Linus. Sawyer looks at Hurley and Hurley gives this like very sure nod to be like lay off of him. And sort of at Hurley's request, Sawyer decides to relent, not due to Locke's instruction. But as we talked about last week, Hurley seems to be more so the person that drives Sawyer off of doing what he does. Yeah, do you know what the other thing that uh, uh, stuck with me this time around is Locke being like, Oh, good idea, James. Let's just kill this person in front of everyone. What did you just try to do? Yeah, and what are you going to try you to just, do? Like you just did minutes that. From now? <laughs> you just did that. You just tried to do that. And you're, you are going to do that again. Locke? John? Yeah, I mean, this is obviously this is a also Sawyer's words, obviously ringing very prophetic of like, Hey, just so you know, Ben's already plotting how to get you. I mean, it's going to be way down the line, but who knows what this world is like if Locke allows Sawyer to kill Ben. Certainly, John Locke does not die the way that he does. Um, yeah. So he is certainly like letting his killer go in a manner of speaking. I also love Ben uh, sort of poking the skate bear as much as, you know, I'm sort of done with the whole love triangle, love quadrangle thing. At well, this the point. show ain't done with you. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun way for Ben to sort of like uh, really rile Sawyer up, knowing that, you know, him trying to still play word games and psychological mind games, despite the fact that he's in a very supplicated position. Uh, where do we want to put this Benjamin Linus beatdown? All right, let's let's look at the charger because it is fairly, I wouldn't say fairly epic, it's fairly brutal, uh, though it is just sort of like just pouring more fake blood onto poor Michael Emerson, considering that he hasn't really been washed up since Jack just laid the ultimate yes. smackdown on so him. So let's, let's go through it in terms of how it ranks. So number one on the Benjamin Linus beatdown counter is Jack kicking the crap out of Ben during their meeting by the radio tower. That is not going to be trumped by this. I don't think it's going to be trumped by anything. Um, you think it's going to be last? No, no, no. I, I, I'm sorry. I, oh, you I, mean I, the I Jack think that Jack died. beating is okay, oh, it's going to okay, be always okay. going to be the undisputed number one. Second might be the lay down that Desmond lays on Ben at the harbor, but still, the the catharsis behind Jack will always make it a number one. I think it's definitely below the harpoon because the harpoon yeah, when is when Danielle shot Ben with a harpoon. Yes, it's super creative and super brutal. I could be convinced. That it falls like before or after Saeed beating Ben up in the hatch uh, yeah. when, when it, he thinks he's Henry Gale. Here's where I think it lands. So it's number one is Jack beating up Ben. Number two is Danielle shooting Ben with a harpoon. Number three is Saeed beating up Ben in the hatch, which I think is cathartic in its own right and iconic. That's the first Benjamin Linus appearance uh, that episode. 
I think that Rousseau elbowing Ben is is so fast, so decisive, so impactful, and also such a long time coming that I don't think that gets topped. I think this is uh, more of like a brutal beatdown than Ben's surgery. Uh, I, I which we have that. at number five. And it's certainly cathartic on Sawyer's part because he's obviously ticked off at what Ben is saying, but it's less pent up, like you said, than Russo or even Jack. This is more so Sawyer just being ticked at what Ben immediately said to him than like a kettle that has been boiling for quite some time. And then he's going to he's going to beat him up a little bit again later in this episode, right? Yep. He's going to beat him up after uh, he tries to shoot Charlotte. Yeah, I think that that's just sort of like an encore performance. I would put that at the very end of uh, the beatdowns, personally. So you put it even below Sawyer punching him in the mouth and every man for himself? Maybe, maybe right above that. Yeah, maybe I put it right just above because I think that, that was... Because, yeah, uh, yeah I, I would say that at least this has, like, some impact to it. That was just more so, like, Sawyer wanted to get a sucker punch in it, really having no effect. Yeah, sort of in the same way that, like, Rousseau's second punch is definitely lower than the first. It's the same deal here. People gotta uh, be more original with their punches, you know? I know, I know. Uh, are we going to count uh, Saeed shooting young Benjamin as a beatdown? Uh, we'll get to, we'll cross that bridge when we get to that's it. Gonna be pretty high up, I mean, I think I if mean, we count <laughs> his surgery as a beatdown, I think getting shot counts as a beatdown. I think that's going to count. I think that's going to have to count. Um, all right. So uh, Sawyer's insisting, like, this dude's going to kill us. We should probably just kill him. And Locke's like, nah, man, definitely not. Um, meanwhile, uh, with the Faraday players, as I've been calling them, uh, oh, I love that. Uh, it's it, Miles is communing with Naomi's body. Meanwhile, if you, if you listen super closely, actually, you can hear some of the whispers as well, which is a hint as to what we'll find out a few episodes from now as to what oh, the whispers good. really are. That's good. Uh, Daniel is pointing out the light. It doesn't scatter quite right. <laughs> And they're like, okay, I think he. Ne- I know we're going to treat Frank for a concussion later, but maybe we should have started with the guy that we saw first because I don't know what the hell he's talking about. They're like, maybe we should get that dude some mango. Like he needs like a sugar or, fix or, like, or something. Uh, where's Locke's psychotropic paste? Did he just yeah. ingest an entire supply? Uh, I love Kate being like, all right, Dan, uh, <laughs> do you want to just like uh, calm down a little bit? And Miles like, hey, chill out. Like stop talking to the stop talking to each other. And Jack's like, don't worry, Kate, we should just play along. And then he just goes, oink, like a ve- like the most obvious <laughs> wink. And, and it's so jarringly un-Jack-like that right. even Kate is like, does he have something in his eye? Yeah, exactly. Like she's a little like she's like, Jack is never surreptitious. And, and if he is, it's the plot of like an entire five episodes in yeah. season three of Lost. What an odd thing. So he winks at her. Uh, and it's because it turns out that, uh, we got you surrounded, Miles. How uh, stupid do you think I am? And then, uh, Saeed and Juliet take some shots from the jungle, and, uh, uh, Jack has the great line to Miles. I don't know, Miles. How stupid are you? Yeah, it's, it's a really fun, uh, act closer right of like okay a15 you know what since it since we ended the previous act with miles pulling a gun on jack and kate now we have guns being pulled on on miles and faraday it's a very uh-huh. fun reversal for the for the first time really in this episode uh a15 has one over the, on the freighters yes absolutely all right we're gonna take a quick commercial break we're gonna stop down for just a second and then when we come back we're gonna introduce another member of the freighter crew very exciting stuff here confirmed dad all right, let's get back into it, Mike. Uh, we are going to we're going to meet Charlotte, uh, who I know that you've got a, a strong connection with, Mike, because of the the once upon a time of it all, right? Yeah. So she is played by an actress by the name of Rebecca Mater, who plays yep. Zelina, aka the Wicked Witch of the West on Once Anything Upon a Time. Anything for Zelina. Yeah. And so the thing is, is that uh, admittedly, you know, 
this is more so about the character than Rebecca Mater. I was sort of like, fine on Charlotte. I definitely consider her the Ringo of the freighters, but I fell in love with her as an actress on uh, Once Upon a Time because she is scenery chewing and then some. Uh, she is just like the most soapy, over-the-top character on the show, but not in a grating way, in a very fun way where you can tell she was having a lot of fun. And so I'm very excited to come back and approach this character, hopefully fill in some of her history. But Josh, did you know that Rebecca Mater was not the first choice to play Charlotte? Who else was in the running? None other than Kristen Bell. Hey! Well, that would have been fun. Yeah, but because Kristen Bell was contracted to appear on Heroes... Uh, as Oof. Ellie, I believe the uh, the one with electric powers, she, she she unfortunately could not be on, and so wow. I believe the character was initially supposed to be American, actually, but because they loved Rebecca Mater's accent, they decided to okay, we'll just make her British, we'll make her be born in Essex, England, I suppose, instead of Essex, Massachusetts. But yeah, much like there's a universe where Frank Lapidus was on the plane instead of Seth Norris, there's a universe where Kristen Bell played Charlotte oh. Lewis instead of Rebecca Mater. Oh, my God. Um, I don't know if that's the good place or the bad place. I think it would have been really fun to have Kristen Bell on the show, and I think that it's... it's. I mean, it's hard to think about now because... I mean, even then, you know, she was iconically Veronica Mars. I think right. that she is, like, famous to a degree even then that maybe takes you out of it a little bit. Maybe not. I don't know. I mean... I would not have complained, I don't think, about having no. Kristen Bell on Lost would have been really fun. Though I do like I do like the multicultural aspects that come with having Rebecca Mater on there. I mean, granted, Faraday is going to have his own sort of link to the UK, but I did enjoy the fact that, you know, there's four different voices to this freighter crew and that, you know, one of them at least doesn't have an American accent. I hope, it, w- it would have been different enough, but yeah, now I'm just imagining Kristen Bell as Charlotte. It's, it would have been, I think she would have pulled it off. There's definitely a pluckiness yeah. to Charlotte that Kristen Bell does very well. All right. Well, let's meet Charlotte. It's another flashback. Let's go to Tunisia for the first time, not the last. Uh, Mike, let's uh, listen to the sound. How many different languages do you have to read that in before you believe it's true? How many different languages are there? He wants to know if we're lost. Reminding the people in our line of work are terrible at keeping secrets. I know about the day. He says the site is closed. Then tell him to open it. So, Josh, we got a question from the Ben behind the curtain. The polar bear got to Tunisia because the frozen donkey wheel was turned sometime right. after the Dharma Initiative began. Head cannon time. Who turned the frozen donkey wheel and left the polar bear skeleton there sometime in the 70s slash 80s? I have a theory, but I'll, I'll, I'll defer to you first. Yeah, I think the answer is the polar bear did it. 
Do you think I a think, polar bear? Uh, I guess yeah, they do it for I a fish biscuit. A, a polar bear fell into the thing, got into the thing, wandered. Everyone's like, oh, polar bear on site. Everyone relax. Everyone chill out. Everyone stay inside. Polar bear's poking around. Poking around and poking around the orchid station somehow manages to get down into that frozen donkey wheel section. Maybe falls down that well. Mm. Uh, and falls down that well and spins that wheel. And so they have to go and, uh, fix the wheel. But yeah, that frozen, frozen polar bear, frozen donkey wheeled himself into Tunisia and the polar bear suddenly like, well, now what do I do? Yeah, that polar bear's like, oh, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, crap. Spun the thing. What yeah, did you, some... what did you do, Barry? No, oh, is, Barry. Is that Ivy again? <laughs> no, that, no, no, Ivy's still here. Yeah. Don't you worry. Kyle and Ivy, the polar bears. Uh, uh, so my, that's theory, my theory, as much yeah. as I love, I love that idea. <laughs> uh, here's one. Here's some food for thought. What if it's Eloise Hawking? Mm. Because we know that she's going, she's going to leave the island eventually to give birth to Daniel. Right. And I, I know that obviously the seventies, uh, she's going to be involved in the, all those events. What if there's a matter of like, Widmore gets exiled from the island? Obviously she has that torrid history with him. What if for some reason, you know, somebody orders the island to be moved? Eloise ends up doing it. And that's how she ends up making her way off the island to eventually give birth to Daniel Faraday. Yeah. Um, I like it. I like it. I, I think like I can imagine, um, you know, once she like kind of maybe learns a little bit more about like the time travel-y type stuff, uh, that maybe she starts like exploring that a little bit more. Yeah, and it could be a thing of like now that she's left the island, now she gets become like hyper focused on getting back there. That's when she gets involved with the lamp post and everything, and more involved with the time travel stuff. Like it could be a very interesting jumping off point where it's not exactly in the Ben mold of like she wants to go back to the island but mentally she never leaves it and that's what causes her to really fall down that rabbit hole and maybe you know she decides to much like Ben does at the end of season four make this sacrifice to move the island so that no big issues happen again but as a result ends up removing herself from this very important place in her life mm, I like it I think it's good uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of that. I think that's really nice. But this is a big moment for Charlotte as well. I really do wonder how much Rebecca Mater was tipped off as to being like, well, Charlotte's from the island because the reaction she really sells it and she sells it immensely when she ends up, you know, falling into this, this lagoon or wherever this is when she ends up waking up on the island where like, there is ecstasy on her face. Because we know, now we know. Oh, that, she found the ecstasy supply. Uh, and that's where Daniel, well, I'm surprised Daniel didn't take them all. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, she she was someone who left the island when she was very young. And her mother kept telling her that, like, the island was imaginary. That part of her life essentially became obfuscated. And I think her finding the collar and obviously her actually making her way to the island itself is like a huge accomplishment. This is something that she only dreamed of, much like she's been fighting for this. Much yeah. like C.S. Lewis, the thing she's named after, this was her Narnia. Uh, yeah. And so she was able to finally go through the wardrobe and has now found herself in this place that she has only dreamt of. Yeah, uh, I I think that there's probably a degree to which like I think that the character, uh, you know, is described to the actor as like, you're connected to this place. You've got a lot of deep uh, personal fascination with it. But I think like the whole, the whole storyline of like, you're going to die next season because you, you, your, your nose is going to bleed and you're traveling through time. Like none of that. I can't imagine that she knows any of that stuff. Apparently, according to Lostpedia, initially Charlotte was only contracted to appear in eight episodes. Mm. And so they like extended it a, a smidge to have Rebecca Mater die off in the beginning of season five. I wonder if it was like a Michael Emerson thing of, oh, this, you know, she's so good. We want to keep extending her time here. If it was a, oh, we have a new idea for this character, but 
Charlotte's going to be the the one, I think, the biggest question mark. The other three characters in the Freighters have been litigated so many times over the years that Charlotte has so much, I don't want to say unfinished business, but maybe like missing fulfillment when it comes to characterization that I'm excited to really dig into it, much like she, she's excavating here. Uh, you know, I, I also really like this sort of nuance where she certainly believes in things like uh, the polar bear and the island, but somehow is actually uh, very skeptical about the idea of, you know, Oceanic 815, about this, this everything that's happening there. And it's also fun to see, much like I talked about in the beginning here, characters respond to varying degrees as to the big conspiracy of 815, like, we'll hear this later, I think, in Meet Kevin Johnson as to what characters on the freighter are on board or off board with this idea of, oh, they're dead the whole time. I don't know why we're going to the island versus, right. uh, oh, my God, I'm so surprised. How are the, how are hell are 342 people alive at this point? Right. Uh, part of me also wonders, though, because we'll get to it in a second when she's talking to the crew, like, uh, is she just like putting on an air about it? Mm. Like, is it, is it a ruse? Is she just like trying to talk her way out of something? But the other piece is like, she seems to be somebody who like is really like, uh, she wants things to, to like, she's not just going to take something at total face value. You know, she yeah. wants to like dig in and like get the answer for herself. And then when she meets Oceanic 815, I think it's hard to, uh, deny the, the, the truth of their existence um but that's coming up first she does fall into the lagoon there's like a little bit of a mini adventure and, and here's the thing we talk so much about you know the stream the one stream this for my record is a brand new location on lost i don't think we've ever seen this bay before uh not to my i love you bay i can't recall it uh so if anyone has a memory of this uh appearing i would, I would love to know um, I know we're going to do that with like the boathouse, I think. Uh, yeah. Well, well also, if you watch Lost on Location for this episode, I mean, it's not even filmed in this place. Rebecca Mater does it via blue screen, but I just find it, I guess they wanted this big scene of someone dropping in that I guess couldn't be done at the waterfall, but it's not too far from the one stream considering that Locke and his crew happened to fancy upon her. Yeah. It's like, hello. I, you know, it's like, uh, she goes, hi. And she's like, oh, hi yourself. I think is what hi it is. Hi yourself. Hello there. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll get back to her in a second. Juliet and Saeed are going to be like, yeah, we tracked you guys. When you didn't show up, we got worried. Yeah, look at you. Like, don't need Kate. Don't need Locke. These two can do all the tracking. And Kate's like, why didn't you guys tell me about this? And Jack's like, I tried to, I did the winky thing. <laughs> Come on. Do I listen? I know that I was bad at the end of season three. I'm trying to be a bit better in communicating my wishes. Maybe I went a bit OTT with the winking. Maybe I'll try charades next time uh so saeed wants to get some information out of uh daniel and miles daniel's all too happy to share yeah. he's a, I'm a physicist blah, here's blah, blah. my social security number yeah miles is like i collect soil samples uh and saeed's like could you just like tell me a little bit more give me something and like uh why aren't you even a little bit surprised to find out that we're here since we're all supposedly dead and I was like, oh, you want me to act surprised? Ooh, you guys are Asianic Wave 15? Wow, is that better? And Saeed is like, I can't wait to shove bamboo reeds <laughs> up your yeah. nails. Like, oh, uh, tor- torture Saeed is coming back just yeah, for one episode. He's, like, he's pretty eager. Uh, Miles, not Saeed's favorite kind of person. Yeah, I love the uh, Miles or Macaulay Culkin impression there with his fake shocked reaction. I know. Uh, all right, so back with Locksford. This is when Charlotte's holding court and she's as- asking all these questions and her always like giving up the game and Locks like, Hugo, stop. Yeah, everyone has a Faraday <laughs> in their group, apparently. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and she's like, Oh, you had a baby on the island, Claire. That's so interesting. Oh my God. Uh, and Locke's now starting to grill her on her story. And she's like, I don't know. It was pretty chaotic. Uh, I think that the line that she says she's talking about when she had to bail on the helicopter, I really enjoyed. Uh, I had to jump chaos. And to that, I say, MOT, 
PD. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And would you always uh, jump into being a poster recap yeah. uh, patron? Because then you get yeah. to experience some of that chaos in the Discord that is akin to having a helicopter be struck by lightning pretty much 24 hours a day. I had to jump. Chaos. M-O-T-P-D. Uh, so Locke's like, all right, let's, uh, let's get moving. And Charlotte's like, yeah, but, uh, we gotta stay put so that they can find us, right? And Locke's like, yeah, here's the problem with that. We don't want to be found. Oh, and also you're our prisoner now. Yeah, she's like, oh. Uh, and so we kind of yada yada past this, but all of the freighter folk have transponders. Yeah, and they, have, so- they have weird little, like, glow sticks attached to them that serve as little bla- l- blips that show where these people are from a GPS perspective. And so, uh, the, the Faraday players note that Charlotte's transponder is going nuts and it's racing at them really, really fast. It's just Vincent, everyone. It's a <laughs> joke. I love it. So do you think what did like Locke say like, okay, Vincent, go to Jack? Do you think that he just released Vincent into the wild and Vincent found his way back to Jack? Yeah, I don't know. Here's the thing is big demerits for who anyone allow for anyone who allowed Locke to just like let Vincent go. It's like, that's our dog. Yeah. We're I mean, not just I, like I giving up our dog as a gambit. He's like the mascot. And like, if like the whole thing is like, these people are dangerous and we believe Locke and Hurley that these people are dangerous, we're going to send the dog out into the danger? How dare you? Well, maybe at this point they're like, Vincent made his way through the worst. He got through the hatch implosion and the other's invasion. He'll be fine. Let's use him as a distraction. And I also love like, maybe they're thinking like, okay, maybe Charlotte does have a superpower. Apparently she's the Flash or Superman, depending on who's faster. Superman. Yeah. They're just, uh, they're just like going at a breakneck pace. And I did, this is some freaky chase music here as they're, we get close up to them just sprinting through the jungle towards absolutely nothing. It's just Vincent. All right. So they're like, okay, well, uh, what happened? And they go, Locks got her. Yeah, exactly. But before we t- talk about uh, who Locke has, it's time to meet the fourth member of the freighters, Josh. Let's do it. Um, flashback time we're in like this little like i don't know we're not we're in the bahamas we're like at the bahamas so we're in the bahamas and we're in this little store it's like this little tour place tours and there's a little fish tank and there's this uh this like old dude with a goatee and uh, like a hawaiian shirt and the wife beater and he's got like he's feeding the fish and he's watching this kooky tv and he He's got the prettiest eyes on the planet, mm-hmm. and he's got this idea as he's watching the news. And this man, Frank Lapidus, is going to speak his first dialogue here. Sound number six. National Transportation Safety Board, Oceanic Hotline. Yeah, let me speak to your supervisor. Yes, sir. Are you a family member of the deceased? No, I'm not, but I got some information on the crash. May I please speak to your supervisor? Sir, if you could just tell me... Look, I'm staring at the television right now. You're broadcasting footage of the wreckage and saying that that's the pilot, Seth Norris. Yes, sir. Well, that's not him. Please hold. Who am I speaking with? Doesn't matter who I am. You're showing footage of Seth Norris, and that's not him. Listen, this guy married his high school sweetheart at 19. He always wore his wedding ring, and I'm telling you, there's no ring on that body. Sir, it's likely the ring fell off. I'm telling you, that is not him. How exactly is it that you know all about Captain Norris? Because I was supposed to be flying Oceanic 815 on that day. All 
alternate universe, Seth Norris is the best. Norris, it's Frank Lapidus. Uh, Happy I, times. I love the file photo of Seth Norris with the mustache. I'm very glad, uh, you know, they shaved that before he got an 815 because it does not suit him very well, in my opinion. I love pizza at 4 a. I love Frank Lapidus. <laughs> and Frank. Uh, and Frank. I love Frank uh, Lapidus so much. And he's here. Oh, my God. And talk about a character who, uh, you know, is not a, like an especially deep character. No, no. But that's, but that's the best part of it. It's like he's just good for like the guy to shoot to for the one-liners. You he's, know? He is a walking, talking, snarking, helicopter piloting airplane flying deus ex machina and it's great you need frank you gotta have a pilot if you're gonna get off an island and so here he is and and go back to that then get off set and then get off again so uh frank lapidus critical uh character clear decisive mvp of the freighters for me yeah this is frank mfing lapidus folks and i am so jeff fay he is so good ah i love him he's so fun he's just like such a great element to add to the show such a great grizzled look too like i yeah as much as I, uh, as much as he looks good when he shaves the beard, I always miss uh, season four of Frank Lapidus with the with the goatee because he pulls it off so well. I was actually, you know, uh, do not mistake coincidence for fate. I was watching Legends of Tomorrow the other day where they went into the old west, and the main bad guy, the black cow cowpoke, is played by Jeff Fahey, rocking a beard like he has that perfect low grizzled old man voice that just works so well. He's such a great character. I feel like the, because he's used so sparingly and we don't really dig too much into that mythos, it shrouds him in this fantastic mystery and enigmatic perspective of this character. Like you said, Josh, he always just seems to appear. I love in season five where like just the surprise of after all the pomp and circumstance of getting everyone back on board the plane, Frank happens to be flying it and just the, the music of, we're not going to Guam. We're not are going we? to Guam, are uh, we? It's just such, it's, he's such a fantastic character to the point where, uh, how it should have ended the, the animated web series. I remember when right. they did it for Lost and they did the Lapidus in the style of MacGruber is like the one takeaway <laughs> I have of that many years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just has some of my favorite lines of the of the series and the one that always comes to mind is terrific. Yeah, when, uh, uh, like, when he sees the, the lock yeah, in the box, right? Yeah, and so I can't think of the word terrific without <laughs> thinking of Frank Lapidus. Uh, we've also talked about uh, the Lapidus connection going all the way back to Expose, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of uh, of Kitsis and Horowitz were just obsessed with the name Lapidus and they finally snuck it in and there's like the, the, the you know, the never confirmed is Frank Lapidus related to the writer of Expose? Uh, like, it's just very fun to to chew on all of that just like to make it like very clear that frank lapidus is so awesome the very first thing you ever see of him on the island is him meeting a cow yeah that's that's how you know he's great and also selling the look of like would you believe that a cow like, huh terrific <laughs> yeah, a cow. Exactly, huh? would you would you look at that <laughs> so frank lapidus as a character even though he is not emotional depth uh that's what we love about him I do find it interesting why he's here. Like, I know he does get hired. Part of me does wonder, first of all, uh, do you think the Oceanic tip line is a tip line? Uh, no, no. So you think this is very clearly like, okay, we got this guy who was supposed to fly 815. We could use a pilot for our mission. Let's recruit him to the cause. I think it's a very it's a little, easy way to get him on the list. It's a little hard for me to figure out uh, how to, like, sort of, like, make plausible sense of this, of, like, they have this TV commercial. They're broadcasting this number. 
he calls it and he gets like piped into like the Widmore group mm-hmm. is very silly to me. But also this is a show, a show and an episode, in fact, in which a polar bear is suddenly in Tunisia. So I can't get mad at it. Um, but like, I'm not going to spend much of my energy, Mike, trying to like make sense of it. Uh, I don't think that it makes sense for us to do that. I, w- I do want to just walk back very quickly and say that, yeah, you have to have the pilot on the show in order to like get off the island twice uh, to come back to the island. Um, but are we being disrespectful, Mike, to the fact that there's already a pilot on board? There's Jack. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. He walked a few Jack- miles. Frank Jack Frank does what Jack cannot. He's able mm. to fly a plane. He's like, well, I took lessons. I could have done it. See what I did with the little leaf? You uh, know what would have been great? A flashback episode in which we find out that Frank was Jack's uh, instructor. Oh, and he failed him. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think you have what it takes. No, everyone nah. tells me that. And so Jack, with his photographic memory that we've already established, definitely knows who Frank Lapidus is already, but Frank doesn't remember mm. Jack. And so, Jack, and so he's just like trying to play it cool because he's too embarrassed. And he just grabs the gun at the top of the yeah. hilltop and just shoots Frank Lapidus. Yes. Yes. I like this. It's I almost like, uh, it's like Saeed and Ben of like, wow, he's, he's, uh, yeah. he's getting revenge for something that'll happen later on. So, Lapidus, I can't remember what, what his standpoint is as to whether 815, you know, was actually at the bottom of the ocean. Do you wonder no, if... No, he, he doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it. He thinks it's nonsense. Oh, right, because of the Seth Norris thing. Uh, yeah. but, but I wonder if, to that point, is him going on this message, mes- mission penance, in a way? You know, is it him sort of being like, well, you know, I should have been there, but Seth Norris stepped in for me. I sort of have to, like, fill my spot that I was meant to be in and now go to the place that I was meant to go. I think Frank Lapidus strikes me as one of those people that when he sees a painting is crooked, he doesn't like that. Or at least he has to know why it's crooked. Mm. It's like, was that a choice or is that something that's that needs to be fixed? And like he has this moment with Michael coming up in the season and meet Kevin Johnson where uh, he's like, you you ever hear about Oceanic 815? And Michael has a really great delivery of he goes. Yeah. <laughs> and and Frank is like, you know all those crazy people who think the moon landing was faked? This is like that except it actually happened. Right. Uh so he's like he's he's not quite like a conspiracy nut. Um but he's like a cynic and a skeptic mm. and he and he doesn't like suffer uh like fools and cons easily especially when it pertains to something that he's connected to, such as his good buddy, Seth. He wants to know what's going on with all of this. So I think he sees an opportunity. He's going to do it. Plus, the dude loves flying. Uh, So there's probably some degree to which he's like, I should probably be involved in this. Yeah, I can imagine. So so that when they do come knocking on his door, so nobody's kidnapped to join this cause, even if, to your point, there are respective degrees of skepticism as to exactly what they're doing. But I can imagine there is a part of Frank Lapidus that is like, yeah, you know what? For Seth's sake... I'm, I should be the one to actually, you know, check out Oceanic 815 since I was meant to back in the day. Yeah. All right. So Frank pulls out his flare gun. He shoots a flare off into the air after he sees the cow. Uh, Locke's crew sees the flare and everyone's like, ooh, look, a flare. And then Ben is like, ooh, look, a, a gun. gun. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Gun. Flare gun. <laughs> and then he shoots Charlotte. Uh, and it's intense and also, uh, unfortunately, a bad move for Ben because it turns out that Charlotte's wearing a bulletproof vest. And what's interesting is if we go back to the helicopter as it was going down, 
Charlotte was frantically saying as she jumped through the chaos that she couldn't find her vest. And Miles is the one to give up his vest to give to Charlotte. So in a manner of speaking, Miles ends up saving Charlotte's life. It didn't happen. Uh, Charlotte dies much sooner. Much sooner than, than she ultimately she does. Di- than she ends up actually dying. Yeah. Uh, so good job, Miles. Uh, bad job, Ben, uh, who uh, shoots her twice in the chest. Uh, but she's got the bulletproof vest on, so she's ultimately fine. And so Sawyer just like kicks Ben's butt mildly here. Right. We'll put we put, we've put that. It's it's more it's more sort of like lower. disarm him than it is out of yeah, like pure anger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a utility role. You know, it's not anything of any kind of real depth. Um. All right. So that's what's going on over there. Jack and friends they meet Frank. Uh, and Frank's like, hey, what's going on, guys? Remember that crazy storm? I saw a cow. They're like, oh, where's the helicopter? Where did it crash? He goes, crash? <laughs> what Who do you pilot, think I am? What kind of pilot fr- do you take me for? I'm Frank, Frank motherfffing Lapidus. I'm Frank MFing Lapidus. And so we go and we see, yeah, Frank just landed the helicopter on the island in the middle of the rainstorm. So it's another great moment that just like is such like a demonstration of capability. Yeah. And, uh, and, it's like, and it's a beautiful scene as well. And it's also like as much as we uh, talked about just how big the idea of rescue was at the end of season three. Now we have a visualization of it, right? The choppers there. We're going to leave the island as soon as next episode when Saeed and Desmond go aboard yeah, with, with yes. Frank. And so it's a big thing. The music swells. The main theme comes back in just to represent like how much of a big deal rescue has been since the very beginning. And and another move as to foreshadowing the Oceanic Six before we realize it, Josh. So we get the, the, the wide shot of the entire group standing there, right? Frank, Miles, Faraday, Juliet, Jack, Kate, Saeed. We only get three close-ups, though, going into the act break, and they are of Jack, Saeed, and Kate. Mmm, how about that? So it's, it's interesting to me that what, that Juliet was not included there. I think it's yet another hint as to, you know, who's actually going to end up leaving the island out of 815. Yeah, I like that. And we'll know for sure next week, uh, that Saeed is, is part of that crew. And we'll know it really, really early on. Um, that's great. That's great. I like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, again, it's 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 so much fun to watch this and back to see, you know, despite the fact they were a little a little slow on the rollout with the Oceanic Six, how much they were sort of hinting to us how much uh, who's going to leave the island. They're really underlining it right now, and so I love the mm-hmm. camera work on that. I just love the green of the hills as well. I feel like it's been we we've seen it a little bit here and there, but like we're going to get a lot of work out of it, considering how many times the chopper comes and leaves the island. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I, I love it. I think it's a really cool, uh, thing to just like plant on the field at this moment in time. There's the helicopter. Frank flew it. He's, he's a boss. Everyone relax. Frank Lapidus is here to take care of him. Exactly. Like, don't you worry. Just fix up his head a little bit and Frank is ready to make all your dreams come true. Yes. 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 All right. Uh, final flashback of the episode. Cause, oh, well, we got all four of the freighters. Who else? Well, what about Naomi? Yeah, we need to find out who exactly is the leader uh, to bring this. Who's the leader of the Suicide Squad? Who's to bring, the boss? To bring yeah. this ragtag group together. And who's also the recruiter to the to the boss here and the, uh, and the boss behind the boss as well. So this is the final. Actually, no, actually, uh, Naomi is going to appear in some like it Hoth. But at least uh, one of the final appearances of Naomi alongside two for two in his lost appearances so far in season four. Matthew abaddon as we get some very delightful photos and i'll talk about them in a little bit of the of the freighters here and they're talking about the mission at hand so here we go sound number seven so this is the team 
You familiarized yourself with the profiles? Unfortunately, yes. With respect, these are the wrong people for a mission like this. None of them have field experience, military training. You can't just drop them in unprotected. It'll be a disaster. They're not unprotected. They have you. <laughs> There's only so much I can do. Your modesty is positively charming. This is a high-risk covert op in unstable territory. It's dodgy enough without having to babysit a headcase, ghostbuster, anthropologist, and a drunk. To be fair, he's also a pretty good pilot. It's madness. What if we find survivors from 815? There were no survivors. Yes, I know. But what if there are survivors? There were no survivors of Oceanic 815. Don't ask questions. Just do what you were hired for. Every member of this team was selected for a specific purpose. Everything relies on you getting them in, getting them out, and preventing anyone from getting killed. Think you can do that? Sure. Why not? So the photos are so much fun and so so representative of the four freighter people like daniel faraday's is like a very nice proper scientific headshot miles it looks like it wasn't it was like the one he'll show of ben later like it was clearly taken without his consent it's him standing around like he's on some sort of wanted list for all of his, all of his chicanery charlotte yeah. is accepting a reward it looks like a newspaper clipping and frank lapidus is just cheesing it to the camera standing in front of whatever's <laughs> happening <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, such a great character. Anyway, Naomi's like expressing some very legitimate concerns. This is ultimately isn't the reason why she dies. No, uh, you know. but, but I think she has some ob- obvious reservations of like, this is a kooky crew. How do you expect me to work with this? Uh, and she's also, you know, much like a uh, Lapidus and a couple of the other people very much onto this idea of like, okay, but really are the people on Oceanic 815 dead? And Abaddon's really trying to sell it, but uh, I guess it convinced Naomi enough that she is surprised when she ends up landing on the island, but she has some understandable sex skepticism towards the whole mission at hand. I just wish that she had survived at least a little bit longer. She's really, really fun. Yeah. I think it would have been a great uh, character to add to the mix. But what I do love about the fact that Naomi is deceased is that this flashback, much like a uh, expose style, uh, we slam back into reality and we're just like staring at Naomi's corpse. Yeah. And because, which is pretty funny. Uh, Faraday, I'm, ass- I'm assuming this was Faraday who really wanted to put this idea forward. He wanted to take the body back with them onto the freighter and nobody is on board with that idea unfortunately not yet and frank's like we'll we'll come back for her but like uh you know it's kind of a waste of space on the chopper uh and so they're you know I'm, now to- i'm imagining a, a version of there's no place like home where instead of sort of jumping out of the helicopter they just dump naomi's body uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> on that first run uh although they do bring her back through uh for the constant um so uh Miles is going to get on the phone. He's going to be talking to Regina. I do uh, love uh, Jack playing hardball with Miles being like, don't say anything about your sister. Don't say anything about your sister is funny. Uh, and Frank's getting touched up by Juliet, who's uh, attending to his wounds. Uh, and she introduces herself, Juliet Burke. And Frank goes, huh, Juliet Burke, huh? Hey, Miles. <laughs> uh, this is Juliet. She's a native. She's a native. She wasn't on the plane. I mean, technically, uh, she's not a native. She just came to the island no, at a, at yes. three years beforehand. But sure. I love Frank essentially pulling a Hurley here, right? Saying he memorized the manifest forwards and back so that he could essentially scan his, his well, memory this is, banks. This is really dangerous because uh, we've come 
to be really attached to Juliet at yeah. this point as an audience. And here are these new characters who, who we have the luxury, Mike, of like knowing their arcs. And so we know that these are more friend than foe. But at the time, we don't really know. And Frank is like with some like very heavy otherism here, right? Of like, she's a native. She's one of them. And so like, you're automatically like really kind of freaked out in that moment when like Miles starts like storming towards like, really? Well, especially uh, because the mission is to kill Ben, right? And if you say, yes. okay, this person formerly worked alongside Ben, you can imagine if they have the upper hand, they'll try whatever they can to get information out of her, which is scary, yes. like you said, for someone like Juliet, who we've come to root for in the past season. Yes, uh, we're here for Benjamin Linus, he's, is what he reveals. Oh, and, and he has the gooberiest photo yes. of Benjamin Linus with like a white cream-colored sweater vest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was just like out at an airport, and Ben's just like kind of looking at the camera being like, hmm? Uh, it's very funny. I like it. Uh, let's go back to Locke's crew where Ben will confirm that this is the reason why the, uh, the freighter folk are here. And he's going to add another wrinkle to the equation. James, listen to me, please. Keep your mouth shut. You okay? I feel like I've got a cinder block on my chest, but I'll survive. I'm sorry you got shot. I, I didn't intend for that to happen. Really? It seemed like you were about to shoot me yourself. What good would you be to me dead? I feel much more comfortable now. Thanks. I guess this is the part where I'm supposed to say I told you so. James, I stand corrected. You don't want me to do it. No, it's my mess. I'll clean it up. No, wait! Danielle, you should escort Alex away from here. No, no. Let's go. Come on. Right. Let's go. Anyone who doesn't want to see this should leave now. John, we should talk about Claire, this. What if one of those bullets had hit you or the baby? John, listen. I have information that you need. I have answers. What is the monster? What? The black smoke, the monster. What is it? I don't know. Goodbye, Benjamin. Her name is Charlotte Lewis. Charlotte Staples Lewis. Born July 2nd, 1979, Essex, England. Parents David and Jeanette, eldest of three, all girls. She was raised in Bromsgrove. Did her undergraduate studies at Kent. Took her PhD in cultural anthropology at Oxford. She's here with two other team members and a pilot. Their names, Daniel Faraday, Miles Strom, Frank Lapidus. Your instinct was right, John. These people are a threat. And if you shoot me, you'll never know how great a threat they were. Because I know what they're doing here. I know what they want. What do they want? Me, James, they want me. How do you know all this? Because I have a man on their boat. This is an all-time episode for Michael Emerson deliveries. I've always loved Charlotte Lewis. 
Like the mm-hmm. way he lingers Charlotte on the L. Staples Lewis. Yeah, the, he like does like a Tom Brokaw Brokaw delivery on the L that always has stuck with me. I hate this whole man on the boat thing so much. I know. I will. I really, those. really don't care for it. So I don't like it. Let's answer a question of like the you know when we were there at the time. So. I know I had assumed at the time immediately when I heard it that it was Michael. I can't remember. Were there any other prevailing theories that said it wasn't Michael? Um, no, because you knew that Harold Perrineau was coming back. Exactly. So that was the big thing, which I think we'll get into a bit more, especially with me, Kevin Johnson, is that I believe in Comic-Con that summer, they outright said that Harold Perrineau was returning. And so when you see his name, especially in the credits, you're like, okay, well, let's think. He's not on the island. And there's uh, rules. You got to list his name. He's a series regular. Yeah. You got to list his ben, name in the ben credits. Had, uh, what character hasn't been seen yet that Ben has some sort of a relationship with? Oh, it makes sense that it's Michael. This is how we get him back on the show. The thing is this. I think like I understand the argument that like he's a series regular. You got to have his name in the credits. That's fine. That's not my issue. My issue is the writing. My issue mm-hmm. is the whole idea that like... um that this should be something that's played for a mystery. No one's going to give a shit about who's your spot. It's not that small of a world, folks. Benjamin Linus seems to be a pretty well-connected person. He's There's a lot of others. Why didn't you ask about who? what's that other's name that I just ran over with? Oh, well, that was Ryan. You know, like, yeah. they, didn't go, they didn't go there. So, like, why is everyone always going to end up being so... Well, tell me who your spy is, is, is my least favorite lost contriving something for drama in the entirety of lost and it's a very particular like specific trigger for me that i just hate it i think it's stupid i think that it doesn't have any place here and i know that there's a lot of other dumb things like this that exist throughout lost that i forgive this is the one that i allow myself to always get mad about Mm. so if anyone can ever make me feel less mad about that that's gonna be great I just don't see it happening anytime soon. Well, I think we're going to have some opportunities to do so. And, you know, it happens to coincide with our mad rush through season four over the next couple of weeks. So because I think we're going to get to meet Kevin Johnson, I think, by the time we're, we're done with that little streak. So I encourage people watch ahead because, yeah, it gets introduced here. It's not going to get built out more. But all I remember at the time was this never really even being a mystery, because, again, if you followed the show at the time, you could pretty much put tunes together, be like, oh, yeah, it's Michael. And so the whole thing revolving around, like you said, all this, all this inquiring about like, but wait a minute, who's your man on the boat? And we also never really get that mystery solved as to like, how and what information is getting back to Ben? You know, Ben does a lot of scouting. It's, it's possible that he got Richard to get information on the freighter people even before any of this stuff happened. Uh, you know, knowing the way that Ben is. So it's, it's one of those things that, I wouldn't say I'm mad at the mystery more so than like, I wouldn't even call it a mystery and the circumstances behind it are kind of murky from my recollection. Yeah. I just like, they're going to keep going in on it. Yeah, exactly. Like, Tell me really- who's your spy. Yeah, exactly. And so it's, it's, it's unfortunately something that I think the lock side of things is going to try to hang their hat on moving forward. But I mean, to that point, it does, Ben is able to stave off his execution here by being like, Oh, Hey, I have a piece of information that you may want to know. So I do not fault Ben for doing it. I guess we more so fault the other characters for being like, oh, you have a spy? Who's your spy? Please tell us. Well, bad I don't even fault them. I fault the writing. I fault like I fault like the idea of like, we'll build this out as a mystery because like there was no way that this was ever going to be a compelling mystery and also like it just doesn't make sense that this would be a thing that everyone would latch on to. Like, who's the spy? That's not a thing that they yeah, would be unless asking. Ben's, they don't give a unless shit. Unless Ben literally said, I have a spy and it's someone you all know. Yeah, there's nothing like that. 
Yeah, and then you know? and he, so if you, if you just end like add those five words onto it, then maybe that gets people on their side because maybe then they'll have suspicions about like, okay, could this be someone that we knew who had died already? Could this be somebody that we all ran into in our life? Because you know we have random connections with each other off island. That spreads a lot more uh, logical speculation. I do love about this scene though that even though he does end up coming up out a bit triumphant here in the end, Ben does get. Firmly cast, uh, castrated here when, you know, Ben's like, oh, John, I have so much more information than you do. And John just says, what's the monster? I love and that. And yeah. that's the one question that Ben has no answer for. And also knowing where that, you know, the way in which that's going to connect to these characters, too, eventually is uh, is really interesting. What's the monster? Uh, so that's fun. Yeah, that's no, really, really you, good. you will become the monster. Yeah. All right. So that's confirmed, Dad. Let's get into some feedback. We've got a good little bit of feedback. Here's from Down Servo. Down asks, you surprised we got afraid of flashback this early into the season. Mike, do you think that this is the appropriate place for it? Is there another way that you would have done this? Or do you think that they did this one right? I think they did this one completely right. Uh, I, I think agree. We, we talked last week about how... Last episode, you could say arguably, like, let's start off with a clean slate, much like we did with starting off with Desmond and Juliet, new characters in seasons two and three. Let's start off with the new characters in season four. But we talked about this last week that the beginning of the end really serves as like still having one foot back in season three that you have to start with something familiar, albeit in an unfamiliar territory. I think this is sort of like you talked about how this was sort of like a uh, similar to the pilot. This was this was almost like the soft season four premiere. In a yeah. way, and that it felt distinctly different, really kicking off a different tone and set of characters for what's to come in the future of Lost. And so from that perspective, I think I think it was really expertly executed. I can certainly not imagine putting this later on. I think you have to put this early on to introduce these characters to us. Otherwise, we're neither going to care or really understand who they are and not in like a fun who is this type of way, more so a okay, why are these random people here type of way? So I could not find more perfect timing for season four than putting all this in episode two. Yeah, it was the right time. The trick was like you had to do it right in addition to it being the right time. And, then, and, and I think that they do for the most part. Completely, yeah. Um, Stefan Johnson says, why start with the scientists? Why doesn't it make more sense to send in the muscle first? Uh, from, you know, like it, it makes sense from a certain point of view, right? Mike, we need to get these characters established. They're going to be important characters. Uh, from like a, a Charles Whitmore tactical point of view, can you make it make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I don't know. If you, uh, send in these people, it's a win-win. Either they take the more diplomatic approach, are able to relay some key information about the island so you can mount that tactical approach. Or they die, in which case you send in the cavalry anyway. Uh, I think they sort of serve, unfortunately, that dual purpose of being both able to do some recon, while also at the same time maybe being bait to find out exactly what Ben has prepared for them. Uh, from Eric Divestein, Eric writes in, Was it a mistake for the show to reveal Miles' superpower in flashback so early on? Mm, uh, I think the answer is uh, no. We agree. <laughs> we agreed it was fine uh this is from lucas lucas says at the time these episodes were airing were people talking about what a lock led others would look like what would they do we never really see it because he's in crisis mode right away what do you guys think it would have looked like if not for the freighter folk being there i mean that's a tough if right because what it would just be like they lock goes to the cabin jacob tells him what blow up the chopper and anyone yeah. who comes to the island and then like the same thing happens. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say that the arrival of Charlotte really 
sends like a huge difference into Lop's group. It's more so just a representation of the people they wanted to get off the island in the first place. If they more so mean like if the freighter never came, if for some reason the idea of leaving the island never happened, then I don't know. I guess they sort of just formed their own society. And I mean, as soon as next episode, we're going to get some co-mingling and trades going on between these two groups. So it's not like they would re- remain, you know, distinctly separate. Uh, so here comes Riley. Uh, Riley with a take about confirmed dead, uh, which I think that I'm probably going to now agree upon uh, having watched the episode. Riley writes in and says, I really have to disagree with the take that this episode has weaker on-island scenes than the flash-forwards and flashbacks. The on-island stuff is thrilling. The way the freighter folk uh, flashbacks are interspersed with their arrivals on the island stylistically really works with the episode and makes every single scene of the episode feel connected and feel like the pace is just moving. Not a frame is wasted. I love Daniel Faraday's arrival and his interactions with Jack and Kate and the tension that builds, which explodes with Miles' arrival and the standoff from there. Then how that, uh, then how everything flips around when 815 turns the table on Miles. Not only that, but there are fantastic scenes showing the differences between Jack and Locke as leaders. I think this episode is vital to setting up the Civil War and how Jack and Locke are both similar, but different. The scenes with Ben, Locke, and Sawyer were all amazing. Charlotte arriving is fantastic, and Ben trying to shoot her, another great moment. The episode is also just... in The ending is also just incredible. The standoff with Locke considering killing Ben, and the reveal of the freighter folks' motivation, a scene before with the Jack camp, and then Ben confirming the information and revealing he has a man on their boat. I disagree with that last, last, <laughs> last part. Uh, it says, amazing ending, and Locke explaining to Sawyer what happened at the end of season three was also hilarious yeah i've really come around on this one just like to maybe do this slightly out of sequence mike um you know i think i walked into this thing it'd be like a 3.5 ish but this was a thrilling episode of lost free and i ended up giving it a four uh and i think it's i probably graded it even higher because of like the surprise factor i just wasn't maybe it's because it's been so long since we start you know we've been watching episodes of lost because we took that time off um, but like I, and maybe like I just really miss like getting into the episodes and stuff. I don't think it's totally that. I think that this is also just a really, really fun, awesome episode of the show. I was really happy to give it a four. It's a strange episode, but a really fun one at that. You know, I, I still think that the flashbacks and flash forwards, uh, specifically flashbacks in this episode, I still think they're stronger than the on island stuff. My point still holds. I think the on island stuff is good. I think it's fine. Uh, I, yeah. I don't think there's really anything bad about it but i don't think there's any anything necessarily like otherworldly next level classic about it it's like it's a very good fast-paced chess piece moving scene and so from that perspective i gave it a 3.7 uh which is on you know my my i think is my awesome episode of lost on on my scale i put it on the same level as something like not in portland or like enter 77 which are very very good flashbacks with like some decently good to very good on island stuff. Like it's a, it's a very solid episode. Like we said, best episode two so far. I will disagree a little bit with the take of like, oh, this is supposed to show how, how different Jack and Locke are with leadership. I feel like it's a little bit like apples and oranges considering the circumstances with which these fair folk arrive. You know, I feel like if, uh, if Miles holds Locke at gunpoint, I feel like I don't know exactly how he handles it compared to Jack. They're sort of dealing with different things with the freighters. But, you know, this is one of the, the few times that we're really going to see these two groups divided up. Because, like I said, even as soon as next episode, they're going to have, kind of have their own little uh, merge feast at the barracks, in a manner of speaking. And people are going to start hopping groups. So this is a fun little, like, baked-in moment of these two groups on distinctly separate paths dealing with a bunch of new arrivals. And I, I think it's a fun episode overall. 
Uh, you and the viewers are in lockstep. 3.7 audience average with your 3.7, their 3.7, my 4. It's a 3.81. Second best of season 4 so far. Yeah, what, I, two episodes. what I find interesting <laughs> is, uh, uh, yeah, obviously by, by consensus or by, yeah. uh, by default. What I found interesting is I'm looking at some of these and there are a good number of people, Josh, who actually rate confirmed dead higher than the beginning of the end. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I find that interesting as well. Maybe it's just because of the introduction of the freighters is just like, a big moment that I maybe that holds more weight to people than like a Hurley episode sure, in the beginning sure. of the end. I personally disagree. I think we both like the beginning of the end more than confirmed dead, but again, both good episodes, you know, yes. uh, they, no, season four is off to a great season start. four is off to a very fun start. Uh, and you know, we're going to get into more of it next week. Yes. Uh, before we close things out, of course, let, let's do those MVPs and LVPs for me. It's pretty straightforward. I've got three MVPs this week and I'm just giving them all to Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to give them all to Frank. Well, I was thinking about, like, should I spread the wealth? And then I was like, no, I love Frank Lapidus. And I would love for this guy to be a uh, season four MVP. Uh, so if I can put my thumb on the scale, I don't think, I don't think it's going to necessarily shake out that way, but I'd love to just give him a good start. I don't know. I, I put it out there, Josh, in our season three feedback show. I said, you know, I could imagine there's an under the radar possibility that Frank Lapidus becomes our season four MVP. And given the, small order of episodes for season four it might end up being the case yeah i'm gonna throw one on there as well for the four freighters let's give four points to frank lapidus this yeah week. he can rep he can and i'll rep. throw my other um, mvp point let me give it to naomi here because naomi she's on she's on the ball when it comes to the flashback scene with abaddon right she's she's right about all that stuff and she does also help have the back of kate and jack right like she does come clean to miles apparently posthumously about what kate did or what kate dad for her and so i'm gonna give her circuitous there you know even both uh in person and beyond the grave naomi has a good episode here um yeah you know what i was thinking about giving her an mvp just be- uh, an lvp just because she's dead uh you know how I tend to do that, but no, let's get let's give Naomi a point. I think that's good. And that you, works and you, for plus me. Plus, you gave her a point last episode for dying. So yeah, so that's already been done. Um, so I am going to. I have two LVPs. I'm going to give one of them to Miles, and I'll and I'll throw one on there too for Miles. We like we said. I love. I'm. You know. It, ultimately, I think in the balance, like I'm going to be positive on Miles, but he does just like you know by design start off yeah. sort of in that same way that like Sawyer was exactly. like we were like, pretty low on Sawyer she, at the start. She plays a role. That role is the cad. That role is the heel. And so we yes. have to, to give points where they go. Uh, and Josh, who's your other LVP point going to? Uh, my other LVP point will go to John Locke. I think like uh, there's just like some very big moments of like Locke strutting his stuff being like, oh yeah, James, let's just kill him in front. Of- you just threw a knife in Naomi's back. Uh, I don't, I, I think Locke's, Locke is like kind of big, big time creepy mode for me right now. It's a weird episode for Locke because like you said, he is trying to now cement himself as this leader, as the voice of the island. But like you said, it's really tough for him to get anybody on board because he did just murder someone in cold blood, right? Everyone's looking at him with, with one eye open, very nervous about what he's going to do. And he does not allay really anybody's fears despite him trying to come clean with all the weirdness and, you know, his reticence to not, you know, to keep Ben around despite protestation. So it has not been a great start to the leadership for John Locke, even though I think it was an interest as much as we don't want to lose Vincent as the mascot of the group. I think it was a good idea to maybe distract uh, everyone and also get get them off of Charlotte's tail by sending uh, another animal with a tail away. I'm going to give so I have two more LVP points. I'm going to give one to Charles Widmore here because... Look, I appreciate the spectacle that was the fake underwater plane in the Sunder Trench, but Frank Lapidus saw right through that. 
right? Like, if you do that, you, you try to dot your I's and cross your T's so that nobody can really second-guess it. And the fact that so many people second-guessed it, uh, that I think shows that maybe he did not necessarily uh, give an outreach in terms of this conspiracy as much as he maybe should. And yeah. actually, I'm going to give it to the other LVP point to his sworn enemy. I'm going to give it to Benjamin Linus, who I do commend him for being able to try to shoot Charlotte. It maybe is bad luck that she was wearing a vest, but he gets the crap kicked out of him and he gets caught with his pants down when Locke asks him what the monster is and he doesn't know. So Ben has shown in this point that he really has no power in this group, despite his insistence that he does. So not a great episode for Ben, even though it's a great episode for Ben Beatdowns. All right. So just to repeat, as we close out, we've got a big binge recording session coming up. If you want to get your feedback in, of course, you can down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. The way to do that is to make sure that you send your feedback in at the right time. We are recording our podcast about The Economist on February 9th. We're recording our podcast about Eggtown on February 12th. The Constant, we're recording February 15th. The other one, we're recording February 17th. The Gion podcast, we're recording February 19th. So those are the dates for you to send your feedback in, get your feedback in, uh, ideally the day before that or early in the day on those days. Those are the recording dates coming up. And of course, we will always be able to catch up on all the feedback once we are back in the live recording session. So do not worry about that. We will always be able to pick that back up. You can also hit us up in the Discord if you're a member, patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. Plenty of reasons to support postshowrecaps, not the least of which is we just launched a new podcast here on the main feed that is only possible because of the support of the patrons of postshowrecaps. That's community building. Mm -hmm. It is the down the hatch of community. We are doing a full watch of community, at least through the first three seasons. We'll reassess once we get to the end of season three. It's myself and the great Jessica Sterling, plus special guests all along the way. Uh, so we strongly recommend you check all of that out. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. Mike Bloom, you got the Bloom files. What else is going on? Yes, yeah, so the Bloom files coming up. We're doing a double duty of tombs and squeeze, actually. Squeeze and tombs that come in chronological order. Actually, very connective to Lost because the big bad in both those episodes is played by Doug Hutchison, a.k.a. Horace Goodspeed from Lost. So if you want to mm -hmm. see a young Horace Goodspeed be super creepy and not just in real life, uh, be sure to check that out. We had a great time. And of course, another reason to become a patron, Josh, you and me are going to start a patron-only monthly podcast called The Wiggle Bloom. It's something that you and I have been talking about offline for a long, long time. It's real. It's happening. It's finally coming to fruition. We're going to be doing a very fun brand sale with the great Grace Leader over the weekend. So become a patron of Post Show Recaps. If only if you want to hear Josh and I prattle into microphones more for hours at a time. We've got that plenty coming to you every month on the patron discord. But yeah, Josh, we're, we're coming up to The Economist. Assassin Saeed is going to be coming out next episode. Oh, I can't wait. I love his, uh, his, for no reason whatsoever, his very, very straight, yep. luscious, uh, Saeed assassin hair is just like uh, such a look. It's, it's uh, such an interesting it's a look. And we'll talk yeah. about, you know, another powerhouse ending, uh, one of the ones that actually competed in our, another brain steal we did back in the day of lost mm -hmm. endings. The, the fact that Ben mm -hmm. also made his way off the island, which was a big deal at the time. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about. As I mentioned before, these two groups are going to commingle in a way. Certain people will choose to stay with Locke. Certain people will go to Jack as the uh, Locke's group begins to settle down in the barracks for quite some time. We're, we're moving the chains here. And I'm not just talking about the woman that's going to cover herself in chains and jump into 
to the ocean in a little bit. For sure. All right. So we are going to talk about all of that and more in the weeks ahead. Join us for the madness. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye. Four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen.